I know it's like I know it won all is it's like the the biggest contender for all these awards, but it's just like I don't know. He's like I don't know what's like what could possibly be interesting about that movie. <laughs> it, I I think it's like it's gonna be like the Jane Campion pity Oscar. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, yeah, but it seems it, it's it's like if you go to like this uh, like Metacritic makes uh, like a compilation of like the top like they they make an aggregate of like all the the, the top ten lists so that all the critics release and this yeah. is like the far away number one so it's not like uh people are saying it's good <laughs> this the problem with so uh like... yeah the problem power of the dog for me is that like i do think it's like a competently made film and interesting like on some level but it just it just completely like irrelevant to today it is nothing that um with like what it's trying to do it comments a lot on like masculinity and like homosexuality and the kind of like fine line between the two but uh, the way that it does it is like completely irrelevant to today because like the discourse has like moved so far beyond what it was like i don't know even like 50 100 years ago when that uh the novel was originally written um and like campion doesn't do like anything to make the themes of that movie like relevant today oh uh, yeah i figured that would be the problem yeah um yeah I, I think i think i'm just getting traction because like netflix released a movie that was like halfway decent and interesting for once which is a new thing for them hmm. i guess i heard the lost daughter was good too that was a movie i kind of wanted to see but i haven't gotten around to it. yeah i like some interest but i don't know it's like it's a i don't know, I don't know. yeah so I guess it's uh, maybe it's like an SJW movie. That's why. That's so why, yeah. People. And uh, that's why, yeah, the SJW Oscars. Exactly. And on <laughs> that sure. note, uh, welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran, <laughs> and uh, I'm joined by Boris and and Nick. All right, you guys I refuse doing? to speak. <laughs> and uh, I'll speak. I'll speak for Nick. On today's on today's Nick episode, says... we are discussing. Um, the best movies, movies of, I haven't seen in 2021. Movies that Nick hasn't seen in 2021, aka the best movies of 2021. <laughs> I don't know, man. F9 though. F9, I really wanted to see, and none of my friends would see it with me. Wait, F9 is Fast and Furious Nine. Yeah, what yeah. else would you be talking about? Wait, what is or is it Fast Nine or Furious Nine? It just F9. It's F. So it be F, F9. It's just F. F. It just F9, yeah. F. Dude, they uh, gave okay. up. <laughs> they gave up a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how many how many are left? I did actually see that. <laughs> you did? How many are left? Uh supposedly two. Yeah, okay. Supposedly two? Huh. Yeah, did you not hear that uh that uh, The Rock and Vin Diesel are like beefing, you know? <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> there is there is um I wonder if it's still up, but there's like an Instagram uh, post that Vin Diesel put out, like trying to kind of like uh, you know bridge the gap or something. Like, well, make this amends. is like, and it's like a big, yeah. There's there's like a there's a big history there. It's 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 this is like the stupidest thing in the world. So um, <laughs> the stupidest thing in the world is <laughs> the greatest thing in the world, man. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's it's a little of both. It's. Um, as, as with the Fast and Furious movies, it's both the dumbest thing and greatest thing. Um, so, this started, I think, around, like, Fast and Furious 7. 
they, okay, they like... Okay, but it was called Fast and Furious 7. Or was it like FF7 or F7? It was Furious 7. Uh, oh, that's, Furious that 7. one was just Furious. Okay, that's before they dropped um, yeah. the rest of the word. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that movie happened, and I guess they, like, they beefed. And, uh, at, at one point... At one point... Uh, Vin Diesel called his work method Fellini-esque, just <laughs> being mean to other people. <laughs> we called it Fellini-esque. Yes, dude, I can't. No, this was. I can't was imagine movie. Vin he Diesel watching like a fucking Fellini movie. Oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> um, which one? Which okay, which so like so single so Fellini movie do you think he's seen? Um, are there any with cars in them? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I mean... Cars weren't invented back then. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> Shit, I don't know then. He probably, like, only um, saw the opening to Eight and a Half and, like, nothing else. And he's like, damn, I know what Fellini is. But, um, the reason Hobbs and Shaw exists is because of this feud. And he was like, I, I want to be in this franchise, but I don't want to work with Vin Diesel. That's so So awesome, he sold dude. them the rights to just that franchise, and The Rock just owns that. And he can do this, what? but not interact with anybody else. That's so whack. Holy shit. I know. It's it's like, it's the craziest fucking thing. So wait, canonically, what what has happened to uh, The Rock, Johnson, and, and the Fast and Furious movies? Is he just like... he's He's just... He's he's buzzed off. He's um, he's uh, he's just not in them anymore. Gotcha. They just don't talk to that character anymore. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. So so Nick, where does um, F nine rank on your uh, top films of twenty twenty one list? Number one, baby. Number, Number one. one. Um, Number one. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. It's not in my top ten, so it's just kind of floating in the ether. Oh wow! Imagine not doing a top fifty three list, dude. I could only do, like, top 39. <laughs> <laughs> I counted out how many 2021 movies I'd seen. I'd only seen, like, 30. I, it's really bad. I didn't prepare well for this at all. That's okay. That's why we got we got Boris here to uh, fill in for okay. your sins. My, my list, my list would be the, like, normie list. I don't think I've seen that many movies either, to be honest. I, I, I was watching a few. I was just watching whatever I was interested in. And I happened to see Fast and Furious 9. Oh, I'm sorry, F9. Although, the one thing I was wanting to say about Vin Diesel, and this was in November, <laughs> so he posts, like, an Instagram picture, just, like, to make amends with The Rock, right? Because of this, like, <laughs> this, this world, uh, world, like, recognized beef that they have, you know? Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. He writes, uh, My little brother Dwayne, the time has come. The world awaits for the finale of Fast 10. As you know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. What? It's not a holiday that goes by. <laughs> That they and you don't send all well wishes, but the time has come. Legacy awaits. I told you years ago that I was going to fulfill my promise to Pablo. I don't know who Pablo is, by the way. But, uh, oh, I think it's from the I, life I of Pablo. Pablo is. <laughs> life of Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> it's Pablo Escobar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Their best yeah. friend, homie. Pablo I swore Cargasso. that we would reach. Yeah, I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the best fast. In the finale, that is ten. So they just call it fast now. It's just a franchise. The oh, best so, okay. yeah. I say this the out of love. Change all the time. I say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. You have a very important role to play. Hobbs can't be can't be played by no other. I hope that you rise to the occasion and fulfill your destiny. Okay. 
which is, you know, <laughs> great. <laughs> like, oh, normal that's people pretty talk awesome. like this. Yeah. <laughs> but the funniest thing is that the picture he posted is a picture of him and The Rock, like, from one of the scenes in Fast and the Furious. But he edited it to make himself look bigger than The Rock. That's like he, so awesome, he, dude. Why <laughs> did himself in Photoshop? <laughs> and he calls, if you recall, the very first sentence of this Instagram post, he calls The Rock, my little brother Dwayne. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I felt like this implies that they were like, um, I don't know, like family members or something yeah, for like family. years. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's they all, are family members. It's a big family. They are family. Well, yeah, I mean, the Fast and Furious series is all if about family, if right? If there is anything that I learned in movies in 2021, it is it is that family. Family? Yes. Amazing. This Amazing is what stuff. I learned from the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> all right, Nick. Let's uh, let's go through some, uh, some of the top stuff on your list. Sure. Just uh, shoot some stuff at us. Uh, so, uh, on my top ten, uh, I'll, I'll start at the bottom, um, I watched this, uh, horror movie trilogy on Netflix that they released, uh, so they, they released these movies, uh, they're called Fear Street, and they released, like, three of them, and they released them, like, like, a week apart from each other, so it was basically just, like, a a three-part miniseries that they just doled out over time for some reason. But uh, I have the last uh, the last movie in that one on my list, uh, which was I don't know it was fun it was um, the whole thing's called? like a big homage what? to other horror movies uh, it's called Fear Street yeah Fear Street what I see three of them. <laughs> oh uh, this one's part uh, part three sixteen sixty six yeah sixteen sixty six. So it, it like, okay. it's kind of wacky and wild. It, like, it jumps, like, time. And, like, there's... One of them takes place in the 90s, one of them takes place in the 70s, and one of them takes place in, like, the 1600s. And they all tackle, like, nice. different horror. Like, the middle one's, like, the, the Friday the 13th one, and the first one's, like, um... Uh, like, Halloween, like, suburban horror, that kind of stuff. And then this last one's, like, kind of weird. It's kind of like taking on the witch genre of horror, where it's, like, period horror. And it's, I don't know. It's, like, it's kind of stupid. It's it's based on an R.L. Stein book series, but I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was very fun, so. The, the weirdest and thing like about... I said, I didn't watch a lot of movies, so <laughs> here it is. The weirdest thing about all of that was how, like, like, on the surface, it's, it seems, like, just, like, a weird gimmick that just, like, disguises the fact that it's actually a miniseries some like you know just like another like netflix miniseries but it's it's really weird that like netflix didn't actually like uh produce this wasn't it like produced by a different studio and then sold to netflix later oh i didn't know yeah which is like very strange because from what i've heard it has a lot of like netflix isms in in the in the series oh for sure (laughs) for sure some of the dialogue scenes are like absolutely horrible they're like it's it's like classic like uh soy banter channel sitcom like a dramatic teen shit is happening kind of thing Uh, just for the people at home 
by Netflixisms, uh, Duran just means it's bad. That's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that, that's that is what I what I said. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is it is like kind of insane how you can like watch movies and shows without knowing that they're Netflix productions and like detect that they were released by Netflix. Um, there's just, there's been like this thing recently where like a lot of people online have been like noticing how a lot of like netflix movies even those directed by like auteurs look very very similar like they have like this very similar kind of like digital look to their cinematography um well okay sorry they have a they have a similar look in their digital cinematography i think like someone said this yeah. about like power of the dog too yeah I, maybe uh, yeah i guess i i mean i could see it uh yeah I don't know. It's, it's just like a weird thing that you know you, you don't you wouldn't think would be a thing. Yeah. Um, does anybody Evan, anybody Evan else? Uh, what's Sorry. I was I was gonna I was gonna say that I haven't I haven't seen many Netflix originals from last year. Although I did see Squid Game. And that, Squid that Games. That was like a. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't really tell. Like, it doesn't feel like uh netflix that's why i like the 10 the 10 episode structure which i guess is pretty common on netflix now but mm -hmm. i don't know i guess roma also came out a few years ago uh, i don't know <laughs> yeah uh, digital cinematography <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah i don't know maybe <laughs> all right i don't know i feel like there just isn't like that that like big of a there just aren't very many of them so it's like whatever whatever like like coincidental like uh uh similarities they have people are gonna hop on to although i guess i, I know, mean man. people there are a lot of like maybe... there are a lot of like shitty rom-coms and stuff that they have on Netflix yeah for now. sure yeah it's just yeah, like but these kind of like that kind of crap yeah but i mean these like like a sure films right in terms of sure. it makes sense that you know people people who like shoot and film probably don't want their movies to be on netflix right yeah like i assume so um so maybe that's why it's like a selection bias. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> but it's especially like strange when like um, you have like cinematographers that are like known for uh, like working with certain auteurs or like just like you know working outside of like the Netflix field that ends up like producing stuff that looks very similar to a lot of things on the same platform. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Maybe it is just like a selection bias thing, but it's interesting. Um, but yeah, what was the uh, yeah. what was the the worst movie you guys saw this year? The worst uh, movie. Wait, I'm gonna rebrand this. My your least favorite movie. What's yeah. yeah. What is your least favorite, favorite movie you saw I'm gonna, this year? I'm gonna mention that before I say mine. Okay. <laughs> Next, start with um, yours. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what it was. Um, it. I believe it was Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which oh, I man. watched very late with my friends one night. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to see that. It looks really bad. It's it's awful. It's it's really bad. Um, but it's I mean you know, watch it with your friends and it's it's a good time just because you can laugh at how dumb it is. True, true. I haven't. I'm I I must say I'm not very familiar with the Resident Evil film franchise. A big on the Do you have a cult following though? Like, yeah. Uh, Paul was it? Paul W. S. Anderson. Movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people like on never, on like uh, film Twitter trying to like redeem him, making him into like a vulgar auteurist. 
Yeah, I haven't seen them. Because Event Horizon can't, can't is the greatest film them. ever made. Of course, I haven't seen that one either. I do like Event Horizon. Event Horizon is a good time. <laughs> Boris, right, what was uh, the uh, worst movie you watched this year? Well, I'm, before, I'm not gonna say worst. This is my my least favorite experience. Okay. The least favorite experience last year, and it was uh, it was a it was this movie called the uh, the French Dispatch. Really. I, Wow! Absolutely hated. Wow! I'm going to preface this huh. by saying that I don't watch a lot of bad movies. I only usually watch movies that are interest. I'm kind of interested in. And so, if even if a movie is like maybe, you know, I don't want to say say like objectively, but like objectively worse than some other movies, you know, I'm still going to try to find. I'm probably still going to find something interesting into it just on the like basis of me like watching it in the first place. Um, but the French Dispatch I watch solely because um, uh, it's like a, a well-known movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I gotta say, I haven't liked a Wes Anderson movie in a long time. Uh, I just, <laughs> I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't get his style anymore. You know, <laughs> like I don't really see what he's saying with his movies. And this one especially, it's a movie that kind of wants to, um, you know, create this like almost quirky, nostalgic reimagining of history. Um, and I mean, it it feels kind of like lip shit, right? <laughs> Have you guys? Yeah, seen it? I mean, especially the uh, <laughs> the the second episode, just like how like completely yeah. like politically barren it is. It's it's really embarrassing how he, how he tackles. Yeah, like, uh, to me, I, I know it's it like not really show... it's not like supposed to be like literally front sixty eight, but it's like very clearly like an allegory yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah, of course, of course. But it, to me, it really seems to. Uh, like embody that like you're it's like the distance between like uh um like this kind of almost a very like nostalgic like almost like ahistorical type of a framing um and this like uh you know what really happened the real like uh um perhaps we could find a better word for that um but at least i think in the second episode it, it really like shows that schism between like like what he's actually doing and I feel like the only way I can approach it is like the most cynical possible way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I really like. I really did not enjoy that movie at all. I thought you said you, I mean, this maybe, is the movie you yeah. least liked. Least liked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's the movie I like the. Is, are you saying least liked? Because it's implicitly I liked it a little bit then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah, why yeah. are you saying that? Yeah. No. Well, I'll say like I mentioned that I did see uh, uh, F9. Which um, I thought was quite bad. I did not think that movie was very good. Okay. okay. Um, oh no! I, feel like I mean, they're movie, not supposed uh, to. Be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why I was like, okay, like I, I I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not really, I can't really expect much out of it. I could kind of expect it to be like, um, like that. But uh, uh, yeah, French Dispatch probably was like the most like annoyed I felt watching it. From my my most negative experience. Yeah, I, I've got to say, um, I well, I did enjoy. Um, I've I've enjoyed a good number of Wes Anderson movies. I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Grand Budapest Hotel are like some of my favorite movies. But um, this one, not that good. I didn't. I don't think I. I definitely didn't dislike it as much as you did. Um, I really liked the first episode. I thought that was that was quite good. Um, the one with uh, Benicio del Toro as like this uh, tortured artist in jail. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. But. Um, Besides that, it didn't really do much for me. Um, well, I do like uh, how he's kind of, like, 
receding more and more into like his aesthetics to the point where like like you said it's kind of like impossible to determine like what he's actually trying to do with them i do kind of like this uh the pure like aestheticism and uh, and some of these like sequences but yeah overall yeah just didn't really do much for me i didn't really think it was particularly interesting the stories that he picked were not um good individually and like the fact that he was trying to like frame them all um together i think was a mistake i think that if you just like let the stories um by themselves without trying to connect them together under the guise of like oh they're all part of like a a newspaper that the french dispatch is like producing i think that might have been better because like when, when they tried tying them all together it like really didn't work for me yeah i could agree with that i mean all the negative stuff you said um i guess i'll agree with <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough fair enough I can't talk about this movie because I still haven't seen it. <laughs> that's gonna be no, the. That's, that's the best way to talk about movies. You just gotta say, you just gotta like, uh, you know, your least favorite movies. Just say movies you haven't seen. Right? Exactly. Just, uh, yeah. Explain like... why why they're like death of cinema or whatever. Yeah. My least favorite movie was Spider Way No uh, No Way Home. Um, you know that like, actually what, uh, that actually wasn't my least favorite movies. movie of last year. No, it was, uh, let's, alright, yeah, so it's time to dump on The Eternals. <laughs> the Eternals is the greatest movie I've seen in my entire life. When, Wait, Duran, you have to say what your least favorite movie. The Eternals. <laughs> the Eternals, the last, last the, year? The Eternals, yes. Um, Explain yours. I, I, I don't even, I don't know, man. What do I say I about this? I think you saw the Kingo meme too many times, <laughs> and you just were just like, ugh, I. Ugh. It was it was three hours of like nothing. Like it was three hours long, and it was just like these idiots walking in fields that had like absolutely like zero character development. There's nothing human but about love... any of these people. They're just. But they're... I love Bellatar. <laughs> humans, bro. They're Eternals, bro. Yeah. So why am I watching this fucking movie if I can't relate to any of these fucking bastards? It's so boring. I nothing don't know. happens, like... man. <laughs> I heard there's a sex scene in it. There is. It's like it's like the most sexless sex scene in the entire planet. Because yeah, I remember uh, what's his name? The um. Why am I blanking on his name? James Gunn. No, no, no! The the Spanish director, uh, yeah, Pedro yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he said, like he never directed a Marvel movie because they're cyclists. There's no yeah, yeah. I think I think like James so Gunn. Yeah, I think like James Gunn like tweeted about that, saying that like, well, what about this scene from Eternals? And it's like literally the most sexless scene. A scene has ever been. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like it. It made me like so like fucking depressed, man. That that entire like movie, like I just, I. I don't I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, although although I will say it evokes some real emotions out of you. It did, yeah. It, to be fair, <laughs> it did end up evoking really strong emotions out of me. Um, but to be fair, the scene where um, the Eternals stumble upon the aftermath of uh, the Hiroshima nuking, that that was really like quite touching. Oh, wait. Okay, you have to explain this to me. Oh, you don't you don't know about this? No. Okay. So, for like no reason, in the beginning, like near the beginning of the movie, um, you get this beautiful CGI like uh, nuclear cloud, and then it uh, it pans over to like the destroyed CGI remains of Hiroshima, 
And then you have the, uh, the like, mechanic Eternal wearing a bow tie, standing in, like, the ruins of Hiroshima, crying. And he's like, humans cannot be redeemed. They're, they're evil creatures. And, like, like, we did this, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's... I can I can say the reason. It's a very dumb reason, but I can say the reason. The reason for what? Uh, for you said the scene was for no reason. Oh but... yeah. What was the reason? So, Mister Mechanic Man, I think his name was Fastos. Fastos. Um, <laughs> yeah, all the they all have stupid. Wait, names. hold up. Did they just like? I mean... Did they just like say? Okay, I know Kingo and Fasto. So they just yeah. say like a random English word and add like an O at the end of it. Is that how they make the name? Or like Druig. I don't know how they made that one up. That's an interesting one. Alright. Probably Druid. That's the interesting with one. With a G. <laughs> yeah, Druid with a G. <laughs> yeah, it's just like some, just like some word that they recognize. Just yeah. Change it slightly. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, he's he's the mechanic man, and he was he was trying to help humans along advanced technology, and then. Hiroshima happened and he was like I've made a mistake in giving these people this technology but it's like it this was like the dumbest most like uh, like I just I can't even get into this like it's I'm very not a tasteless Marvel fan here for sure but like this is like I I can't stomach Eternals I just I really can't it's it's just... it's like that scene is like extremely tasteless although like the fact that it's so tasteless makes it probably the best scene in the movie I just heard about Hiroshima, bro. Man, that shit sucks, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk to the CEO of a nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah, I give it. The problem is that, like, there is nothing for you to latch on to or care about in the entire movie because everyone's, like, a fucking, like, cardboard standee. They have, like, zero personality. Yeah. It's, so uh... how is it different from uh, any other Marvel movie? That's not true. You know, some, sometimes sometimes you got you got soy banter between a couple of them. Right. Okay. Yeah, this one was just like stupid and trying to take itself seriously. Yeah. I think I think that's the big difference is that Eternals like tries to take itself too seriously, whereas like every other one has like the the jokey bits, but this one was just like Zack Snyder shit. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, just me. That being said, though, while this movie was very, very bad, there were some, there were some, like a lot of really bad movies from this year. I would say that I that I saw at least. Uh, for me, like there is um, a lot of a lot of great movies, tons of mediocre movies, and a lot of bad movies this year. Um. Yeah, in the Heights, Cruella, Inside. Dude, you're you're literally not even a horror Inside. fan. You don't you don't yeah. know what bad movies are. That's true. That's true. Inside. God, I had to sit through Halloween Kills. No Way Home. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Free Guy. Reefkin's Festival. Those are those are those are some of the worst I saw this year. Zack Snyder's Justice League. We we hyped that up so much in the lead in to to it happening. It was and we were four just like, hours. Yeah, then 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 it happened and we were like, we can't really do this. Yeah, there's nothing to talk about here. I think I like zoned out in the first like hour and I was just like letting the images like crash into my eyes for the last three. I wasn't even drunk, man. That sucked. 
Uh, what's what are what are some other bad movies that I saw this year? Uh... Oh, uh, last night at Soho. Oh God, <laughs> that's another one. I'm a I'm a I'm a last night in Soho defender myself. You are a you're a lunatic. You're a crazy person. <laughs> that movie is. You know what's funny is I literally I watched it with a few of my we wanted to see Venom instead, right? Which I thought was going to be a much better film, right? Uh huh. But uh, it, it was uh, um, since no one bought tickets for it, they canceled the screening. Damn. <laughs> you know. Uh, so we went to see Last Night in Soho instead, and in the very first scene, um, I turned to my friend, and I'm like, "Wouldn't it be funny if this movie doesn't actually take place in the '60s?" I don't know if you guys remember the first scene of that movie, but she's like running around looking at all like records and all these posters on the wall, right? And it's all like very <laughs> '60s-esque, right? Yeah. And so I turned to my friend, like, wouldn't it be funny if this movie doesn't actually take place in the 60s and she's just, like, a hipster girl? And he laughs, that would be funny. Yeah, I did not like that movie. I feel that Edgar Wright, um, the one thing he's good at is making these, like, uh, very, uh, very, like, dense visual humor. Uh, but if if he has to like actually write a movie um, that isn't supposed to be like really funny, um, it's gonna be very very bad, um, as you can empirically see. This is why cinephiles shouldn't be able to make movies. This is the problem. <laughs> yeah, him and Quentin Tarantino. No, he just like Scorsese watched like too many stuff. like Dario Argento <laughs> movies, and he forgot that like Dario yeah, Argento has made a good movie in the last like twenty years. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I will say though, um, while I do agree that the movie is like kind of terrible, um, I did really like the uh, the uh, the first scene when um, she goes to sleep for the first time and she like wakes up in the sixties. Thought that was really well done. Okay. <laughs> Again, I haven't seen this, so I can't comment on it. You don't. You don't have to. I'll I'll see it eventually, maybe. Just like I keep saying about the Cornetto trilogy. Cornetto. You've not seen the Cornetto trilogy yet. Well, wait, you haven't, wait, what? You haven't seen the Cornetto trilogy? Nope. That's a wild, actually. Damn. Yeah, that's one of those, like, like, those, those, those movies I just like expect everyone to have seen, you know? Actually, I haven't like, seen um uh, the last one in that, whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, the that World. Yeah, yeah, that one's, um, still, it's fine. Yeah. Hot Fuzz and Shadow of are pretty good. Yeah, I guess they, episodes. like... They had to make that one because the the producer was like dying, and this was just gonna be his last movie. So it was they were just like, "Fuck, we gotta make another one real fast." Oh, whack. No, I mean I think the world's end's pretty good, uh, but you know, I think Shot of the Dead and Hot Fuzz have like some kind of unique energy to them. Um, yeah, that really works. Well, I Willy's Wonderland is definitely up there for one of the worst movies I saw this year. Okay, what is this? Is, this isn't like a porn film. It's, it, like no, a... no, it's a it's a Nicolas Cage like Five Nights at Freddy's movie. Uh, <laughs> God, I. He doesn't speak throughout the entire thing, and the problem with that is that they then have to cut to this group of teenagers in like a regular horror movie, and it's it's just the worst. Like this movie would have been so much better if it was just Nick Cage beating the shit out of animatronics. But it's not, and it's 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 lesser for it. Nick Cage kind of fluctuated this wildly this year. 
Did you guys, uh, you guys saw Prisoners of the Ghostland, right? Yeah, that rocked. That did. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see Pig either. You fake Sono uh-huh. fan. Fake Sono fan? He didn't yeah. write that movie. So, oh, he directed it. You can only watch movies, right? You're crazy. No, I mean, it, it's a true Sono fan. You'll, you'll you're not a real you're not a real auteur. If you're a real you Sono auteur, you would realize that no, no, even if directors didn't write the movie, of, then they can direct advantage it. Of because he didn't write it. All the good Sono what? movies he wrote. What are you taking it? Yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah, he was given an opportunity and he was coerced to make a movie that he didn't <laughs> write, which is terrible. It's actually the worst movie of the year, in my opinion. It's just, I see you're no you're sense. utilizing the Zizek method uh, of <laughs> <laughs> not watching the movies you shit talk. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, when when should we start talking about the Matrix? I've been saving a hot take for this podcast. All right, we can we can start talking about the Matrix. Go ahead, say, fucking say your hot take, you Matrix boy. The Matrix Resurrections is don't look up for media nerds. I don't know what that means. I haven't seen Don't Look Up. <laughs> it is... Have you seen Don't Look Up? No, I no, haven't, I but... Okay. Resurrections is just spouting the same opinion that I've, like, heard about the movie industry and, like, not really doing it in an interesting way. And I think people are just liking this because it's, like saying this thing that's like already kind of been said before and to me it's just not interesting at all what is it saying about the movie industry it's you know inundated with like reboots and sequels and oh we're just doing the same thing over and over again while doing the same thing that the first one did like it it tries to say that like oh, just repeating the same structure of old movies is is so bad, and then it does it, which, like, I... Well, you know, to be fair to The Matrix, uh, I think it tries to find some of the most kind of, like, reconciliation in there. Because, I mean, the director, uh, Lily Wachowski, uh, I mean, her whole identity is based on uh, uh, this, like, massive like media project right that has basically like, evolved past herself into this kind of almost like amorphous uh um like piece of like studio garbage right um and i think i think she said like in an interview she just said like the only reason she really directed this one is because if she didn't do it like someone else would yeah it was like kind of uh it was like a passion project for her um but i think within the film there's a kind of it tries to kind of uh, like uh, reconcile that, that fact um i think like the best Maybe you know I don't I don't go too far into spoilers, but I mean the film ends in the Matrix. It kind of there's a kind of almost like cathartic moment that it defines there, and so even though it's very cynical in the very beginning, I think it tries to make uh, find some value. In it. Um, there's a, there's also that scene where they talk about like synthesizing strawberries out of the Matrix, uh, and so it's like it's like saying that even though that we can be like very cynical about like what the matrix is there's something like uh very endearing about it i guess or something like something worth uh going back to in there right i that's think true, that's yeah. what the there is kind of like a I'm talking about it turns from like uh cynicism to like naive optimism almost at the end but not like in a not like in a bad way necessarily because like ultimately it's 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 like a love story uh just yeah didn't work for me i really liked it um 
I I mean I have a lot of problems with it. I think the main issue was that like the action was like terrible. Action. Uh, the action was like some Taken Three stuff. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean not like the uh, the, the suicide like uh, jumper scene. That was cool. That was like the only good I action scene in the movie. That was great, man. Yeah. <laughs> that was. But like, that was redeemed the movie for me. Like, honestly, I thought the problem yeah. with the movie was like it was too much into this like Matrix mythos. And um, I haven't seen any of these movies, so. Uh, oh really? This is the only one you've seen. Movie to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the first Matrix, but I haven't okay. seen the uh, the other two. Yeah, and um, it goes back to this like this this whole history of the Matrix, you know, which didn't work for me because I haven't seen it, so it's objectively bad, right? <laughs> uh, true. No, actually, I really, I, uh, I really like that. I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Um, also, the uh, I get what you're saying, Nick, about the um, commentary on blockbuster films, but the reason why I thought that was interesting was because it was being done by a blockbuster film, and um, I don't think we've really seen commentary on 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 this subject like. From, well, funnily enough, like you, a film you see it in a, especially not like in a blockbuster movie. Yeah, funny enough, you see that almost in like Furious Nine or F Nine. Really? Because there's this constant running joke that these people are like invincible. Oh and yeah. They just yeah. Become these like these almost like uh you know like simulacrums like copies of themselves. I, I think they, yeah, they, they use it, the word it, gods. Oh sick. Yeah, yeah, and it's almost like it's making fun of the fact that. Or, I mean, in the movie, I guess it's making fun of this, like, it's just, like, a joke in the movie, but I think, broadly, like, the way I took it is, like, well, these people, they have no, like, <laughs> there's no tension here, there's, like, there's no reason to watch these, they just become, like, empty copies of what they, what they, what they used to represent, hmm. and you can kind of almost see that as a reflection of a, <laughs> what nine Fast and the Furious movies do. <laughs> so, there you go. Now, my point is that, uh, Matrix Resurrections copied, uh, F9. I totally believe it. Also, I, I, I appreciate this movie for being the first anti-SSRI blockbuster. Uh, okay, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I don't know what SSRI <laughs> is. Uh, was it selective serotonin uptake uh, inhibitor, right? Reuptake inhibitor. Like, see. Okay. Like depression meds, right? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I like that. I like I liked it was I liked how it was an anti therapy movie. That that kinda rocks. <laughs> anti therapy. Yeah. yeah. They stole that from the dream the dream music video. Did you guys see that? Oh true, true, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what's Wait, the what's the line in that? Like, this, yeah. is, this, this is an anti dream podcast. I'm ready to wait for that word. What's the line of that? Like, that's the power of the mask, or that's what the mask means? What does he say? That's what the mask means! <laughs> I don't even know what that sounds like. I don't even know what that sounds like. I think um, I heard yeah. it once, and um, I, 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 I don't know. I had, like, a, something in my brain, like, rejected it completely. I don't even remember, like, anything from it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> the animation. It's kind of creepy. You know, you the know. thing about Dream is, like, way. it proves that bullying works. Because, like, he got so much shit for the music video, he deleted it, I'm pretty sure. Just his grand. Yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> did he delete it? Bobby, I don't know. Pretty sure he did. Um, that that is my number one movie of twenty twenty one. Uh, the dream music video. Yeah. All right, I guess we're not an anti-dream podcast anymore. <laughs> uh, well, I watched I watched about three movies this year, and I chose oh, yeah. uh, the top ten that I like the most. Okay. Um, and um, I'll say with my tenth one, which I'll, I'll do a double. Okay. Uh, which is uh, the woman who ran, um, and the other one is uh, uh, in front of your face. 
I think I'm sending that title right. Yeah. I think that's the title. Yep. Which I think Duran, you've seen these two, right? I have. Yeah. Um, I liked the woman who ran a lot. That's my favorite Hong. Didn't really like front front of your face. Thought I was like okay. That's interesting. Yeah, in front of your face. For those people who uh, are not, not familiar with Hong Sung So, um, which might include Nick. I don't, I don't know if you've seen any of those. Yeah, um, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Um, well, <laughs> I'd actually start with a movie called Right Now, Wrong Time, which I think is most accessible. But accessible. But I think his second most accessible is probably this in front of your face, um, because the uh, the tension in that one is like so so direct. I would say. Um, what's it? What's it about? What's it? Uh... Well, there is a. I don't really. I don't really know how to discuss this movie like, exactly. Because <laughs> there's a there's a narrative shift towards uh, the middle of the film that kind of recontextualizes the whole movie, and it's definitely the reason um, a lot of people are gravitate to this. Now, according to Metacritic, this is his most like uh, critically acclaimed film. So. Really? Oh. Yeah, Duran is wrong about objectively wrong. About no, it just like it's like not that interesting. <laughs> like it happens midway, and then it's kind of interesting that it lingers. And that's well, it. I don't know. I think I think there's um. It's like not a lot there. I mean. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Um, I, I would say this is probably his warmest movie, at least out of the ones I've seen. Hmm. Um, and he has this kind of—I mean, he even has this—he always has this like this director stand-in for himself, which is like a really like self-flagellating character. It's like just uh, telling us how much he hates, how much, he, in a way, like a hog indirectly telling us how much he hates himself. But even <laughs> with that, yeah. This movie finds a lot of really like uh, positive moments, and it's for as like I would say <laughs> um, as dark as some of the subject matter is, um, it comes out really hopeful. Um, yeah, I think it's a I, I think it's a good film. Honestly, I have um, I would say I would say uh, I, I I kind of I'm mixing these two together not just because they're the same director but because they're you know, I don't I don't think there's a massive quality to it. But they're also similar in the fact that they're like uh, they're about this woman who um, they're both about a woman who uh, uh, is kind of like stepping out of her comfort zone a little bit, um, or maybe like going somewhere where she's like not usually. new stage of life. And um, well, maybe not, not not explicitly new stage of life, but kind of existing in a place where she you know um, both of these movies uh, there's 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 a lot of like uh, they talk a lot about the history of the the, the main characters and like, um, like what they you know. Like who they are, like what their identities are, right? Who they are exactly, um, and they're kind of in a place where it's a little bit almost like subversive of who they are, and, um, and this lets them film kind of explore you know, themselves, the world around them, a lot of existential questions, I guess, as you see with uh, a lot, uh, and yeah, I think they're both really good. I'm I'm gonna have to agree with Duran that I do also like this, um, the the woman who ran a little bit more. I think it's a little bit um, less in front of your face. Uh, yes. You, you got me there. <laughs> um, I th no, I just think that yeah, like yeah, uh, think, the the um, beats in that movie like hit a little bit better. Uh, it's just a little bit more interesting, and I yeah, think also I mean, like there's a really <laughs> there's a really great scene in that one where they uh, um, a neighbor comes over to like a like a house and complains yeah. about that their wife is afraid of a cat, and it's this like ten minute long scene of them like, <laughs> oh, that's too bad. And then he's, like, asking them, like, can you keep the cat away? No, no, we can't. But that's too bad about your wife, right? <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> it's yeah. It perfectly represents this, like, because uh, the, the kind of contradiction with Hong Sung So films is that they're, they're obviously very, like, 
I guess, like, they feel very natural. I mean, there's, like, almost, like, a... It's, like, there's almost, like, no cinematic technique to it. Like, he just, like, puts the camera in front of them and, like, films things. Um, I don't know, man. His zooms are pretty fire. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of zooms, yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the kind of director you talk about, like, the zooms in their movies, and people know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's really, like, no cinematic language outside of sometimes the camera pushes it <laughs> to the characters. This is wild, wild, wild thing that happens in these movies. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, but I guess the contradiction is that they're so, like, natural, but at the same time they feel almost, like, claustrophobic in, like, the kind of, the social environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, because these characters are constantly, like, uh, you know, there's there's almost like they're they don't have access to like like total this like catharsis that maybe they're looking for, and they always feel like the conversations always feel super awkward. Um, there's a reason there's like so much alcohol in his movies because that's the, the only way people can actually talk to each other is if they're like really drunk. <laughs> right. um, and so yeah, I guess that's also what makes his movies a lot uh, a lot more interesting because you're kind of having to look behind the curtain to really understand like what it is that these characters are looking for. Um, and so the reason I'm saying in front of your face. Is a lot more direct is because I think the curtain, um, which I guess maybe what Duran didn't like so much about is that the curtain yeah. is a lot more obvious. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that necessarily means a bad movie. No, it's definitely not a bad movie. It just it didn't really work for me. Um, but also, like, I've only those are the only two Hong movies I've seen so far. So mm-hmm. uh, don't take my opinion of him. Uh, take yeah. it with a grain of salt. His older films are pretty. His older films are pretty similar. Hong is like a really consistent director. Hmm. Um, and I mean, they're they're kind of like the easy lessening of film, honestly. Like they're just like so, they're so chill to watch, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I definitely uh, want to do deep dive of them soon. Yeah, and they're also really short. They're usually like an hour. Yeah, that's what I like about them the most. Yeah, it's this uh, this old uh, um, Abel Ferrara quote that the perfect movie is like an hour and a half. Which totally right. To totally right. Totally right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My number ten. Mm-hmm. Benedetta. Ah. This yeah. is the one we've all seen. Except for Nick. Nick might say something. Wait, Nick had seen it? Wait. Nope. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, you didn't. Oh, that's right. Nope. You, you were there. Ah. Yeah. It was with uh, <laughs> Josh, man, yeah. It was, it was Josh, yeah. I, I wanted to. I mean, I'm a big Verhoeven fan. I just, I don't know. Nick, I, just. I, should, something happened at the end of this year, and I was just like, I don't want to go to the theaters for anything. It's because of the COVID. You were scared you of should, COVID. You should, you should just pretend that you've seen these movies and just say that they're like, agree with what we're saying. Right now. Oh, yes. Or just no. say they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really like the... Uh, I really the like the nuns. <laughs> really? I like the sex. I'll, I'll this is... <laughs> well, the nuns and the sex really complement each other. Like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I don't really know what this movie is about, but it, it's my number nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was good. Uh, it is actually... It's actually my number nine, so I'll, I'll try to I'll try to say something about okay, it. Okay. Um, what I really liked about this is is how like um, I, I have this I have this obsession with like Christianity and Catholicism as as I think you guys know, at least Nick does. Um, but I'm I'm very much interested in how like sex plays a part in um, doctrine, I guess, and I think that like. Benedetta does a good job and kind of like explicitly showing how much like sex is like so ingrained into like Catholic doctrine, um, but on like a subliminal level. Uh, and I thought like that the film did a really good job of uh, of showing that. But um, I think it's kind of like it is kind of like a simple film, um, especially like for Verhoeven. 
though i think the ending um is a little bit interesting because like i don't think that you're really supposed to side with benedetta near the end of the movie but the the film kind of like portrays it as if she's the hero which is kind of interesting it's the thing that verhoeven does a lot where like um the film's like satire is like like so like on the nose that people like get confused for it being like non-satirical yeah um there's definitely like elements of satire in this movie um and i think it's satirizing some part of itself but it's not i think it's as like immediate but satire as like something like starship troopers yeah for sure um, or some of those other films i think the satire um, really only kicks I... up like near like the end i would say yeah i guess the the connection with the the, the catholic church is maybe you can argue is a little bit satirical although i don't know i don't know if i'd go that far to be honest but there's definitely elements of it, it definitely feels like someone is satire uh, uh but anyway i have to I'm not sure if I totally uh, agree that this is like. A, I think the definitely, definitely like the tension between the movies is this like, um, like very um, ascetic uh, like uh, Christianity, and uh, the, the 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 amount of like fucking that the characters do right, or they want to do at least. Uh, um, I think what's really interesting to me about the movie is that you almost never really understand. Uh, Benedetta's like like interiority, like you never really get a good look at who she is. Yeah, um, you're just kind of guessing throughout the movie because she seems to be just this total contradiction of everything, you know. And then any time the contradiction gets exposed, she just like doubles down on it, right? There's like uh, she's you know, if, if for people who don't know much about the movie, I mean, there's a she's she's a a, a lesbian, <laughs> um, or a bi at the very least, you know, and uh, um she's kind of like hiding always the fact that she's uh she's constantly having sex with this other woman right um, yeah but at one point it gets revealed to the others that she's having you know and then she, she i think she just finds the most like bad shit excuse for it right and it doesn't even feel like she's like just finding excuse for backing away and she just like integrates it into her worldview she becomes this like almost like christian martyr that she like uh portrays herself as yeah, I mean, like, she's a charlatan, but what makes her interesting is that she kind of completely buys her own bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And so you're never exactly sure, like, what she's talking about. And it's always, like, all the other characters are trying to, like, get to the core of her, like, just like the audience, right? And I think you don't really understand it until the very end. And in the very end, you realize that it's just, like, um, so, like, how lonely this world is for someone like, like Benedetta, right? And just how, how far how far down she's gotten that she can't like uh, she can't find it she can't find like an identity outside of this like Christian Christian faith right which which doesn't let her uh, you know like actualize herself um, you know, right. the way you would think she would right and I found the ending to be like almost like oppressively lonely like really, I think the ending really stuck with me oh definitely I mean even the imagery she's just like walking naked towards the burning city yeah and just like this like a uh, wide shot of the forest. Yeah, I mean, really, it was the, the, the final text that ended it, which is kind of, you know, like, text in a movie, so, like, uncinematic, which is such a contrast, is how, like, over-the-top wild the rest of the movie, just this kind of almost, like, understated, understated mention of what happened afterwards. It just feels like, it was so crushing, yeah. Um, I'd highly recommend Benedetta. It's not for everyone. Um, yeah, if you don't like lesbian <laughs> sex, you won't like this movie. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it on anywhere yet? I don't know. It's on Pornhub. Probably. No, it's not. It's on a... Yeah, it's on digital <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, you can just... You can rent it, but it's not like Netflix or anything. All right. All right. Cool. I'll, I'll definitely have to check this out, because 
I wanted to. I, I really don't know what happened to the end of this year in movies with me. So. All right. All right. Um, what's your number nine, Nick? Nick. Yeah, what's your number nine, Nick? Uh, my number nine, we talked about it a little, uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um, oh, yeah. And I think the reason this is so high up there is that I saw this at a film festival, and I hadn't been in, like, a kind of, like, movie-going audience like that in a long time when I had seen it, because I saw this back in March. Um, and so when I, when I saw it, there's just, like, this kind of, like, energy in the theater that, like, I wasn't really getting with anything else. There's, there's the point where... Spoilers. Spoilers for Prisoners of the Ghostland. Um... The, the part where, uh, you know, they blow his testicle up. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. That happens, and there was just this guy in the theater who, like, the, you know, the, the initial laughter happened, and, um, and it died down, but this one guy just kind of kept laughing, and that just kind of forced everybody else to reevaluate the, like, absolute absurdity of what had just happened, and it made everybody else start laughing again, and I hadn't felt that in a theater in so, so long, and it just, I don't know, it felt really special, so that's, that's definitely part of, like, why I, I see this movie so highly, I think. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was it was, it was pretty good. Um, yeah. Nick and I are the real Sono fans here, unlike Boris. So, you should listen to us. No, I did. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Yeah, I didn't like this movie. You know, I've watched <laughs> it a few times. Now. It's just like, yeah, God, it's so awful. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I, I, no, actually, I kind of see that it's like you know some of this is like it is bad. Like some of the like production design and stuff is is like not good, and it's like a little amateurish. There's, there's nothing sure bad. Just to, before you could before you continue, Nick, have you seen any other science so movies? Uh, I meant to, but I just. Yeah, so Side Soto, like, his staple is that he, like, shoots all his movies with, like, a potato. And uh, he, 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 like, buys the production design from, like, the dollar store. So this is, like, a very, very typical. That's so sick. I love that. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. To be fair, like, you're saying I'm not a true Side Soto fan, but the uh, the true Soto fan truly hates half his movies. Like, you can't be a good <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it's, like, like, it's like being a Star Wars fan buy, and, like, like hating all the Star Wars movies. movies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just I love me some some over the top cage. Classic cage rule for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, you should definitely check out some other Sonos. I haven't seen too many, but the ones I've seen, I really liked. I want to see Love Exposure. I know everybody talks about that one, so Love Exposure is pretty good. Um, yeah, just just a side note. Love Exposure is the movie that if anybody like our age asks me for a movie recommendation, my go-to is Love Exposure. It's like all all the time. It's like I know it's four hours, but you have to just trust me. I feel like it's like a, a movie I don't know. I don't think... Like Love Exposure is definitely good, but it's like one of those movies. If like someone tells me to watch it, you like kind of know they're a weirdo. Like you don't want to talk to them. Yeah, but if they're asking me for a movie recommendation anyway, they assume that uh, I have some authority anyway. And so I couple that with, uh, with, with my recommendations at Love Exposure. I see. <laughs> I actually, um, yeah, I went to, uh, um, 
I literally watched it with some friends. I told them, like, you have to watch this movie, Love Exposure. And I went on about how this is, like, a, uh, you know, like, a, a very religious movie. Uh, which Mike Duran likes. It's a very religious movie. Yeah. Like, candy shots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's four hours, and it's, like, it never gets boring. It literally is, like, a movie that's just, like, pure. It's just fire all the way through, you know? You know, you know, I gotta love a movie oh, that yeah. does his uh, title drop an hour into it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Mandy type beat. Drive my car type beat. I should drive my car to do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number nine is the Velvet Underground. Very good. This Very is a documentary. Good. Documentary, right? No, the band. Just like their entire discography. Uh, um, yeah, I just you just you just heard them the first time this year. No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was actually the first Todd Haynes movie I've seen. I haven't seen any else, anything else. Actually, I've seen Carol. You've seen Carol? Uh, I've seen Carol, yeah. Um, and I think I've seen one other of his I'm not remembering. Gotcha. Uh, but Carol, I thought, was, was incredible. Yeah, I need to watch that. Um, yeah, this was it always the... throws me off that he directed Dark Waters. Yeah. That Mark Ruffalo movie. Yeah, that, that looks pretty bad, but I haven't seen it. I really want to see Velvet Goldmine. Anyway... How is so? How is this? Tell us about it. Velvet Goldmine was pretty good. I mean, Velvet Underground was pretty good. Um, yeah, it. I think that well, the interesting thing about this movie is how I think it's it's mostly all archival footage. Um, I'm not sure if he conducted any interviews for the movie itself. Um, he might have, but um, there is no like um, there's no like narration that runs throughout. There's no like um, narrative being told by like a single individual that runs throughout all the kind of like uh, obviously like through the editing um and then, like through like the craft you you get like a narrative but there's like really like a polyphony of like voices um at every stage in the movie uh which i thought was really interesting and it, it really like paints this um seemingly authentic painting uh portrayal of the of the 60s which i thought was really cool so yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Velvet Underground fan, which, uh, so I would like this movie regardless, but I do think it's worth a watch, even even if like you haven't heard any of their music, um, I think it's like an incredible movie, probably the best edited movie of this year, I would say of last year. Interesting. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's cool. I've n- I've never really been too into Velvet Underground. Maybe that. You should. You should. They rock. You should listen to the oh. uh, um, thirty-five minute version of Sister Ray. Okay. Is, is there a is there a longer version than that? I feel like I found a longer version than that. It's whatever is the one on the Matrix tapes is like the longest one. That's uh, the longest recorded live version, I think. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, my this n- one's my uh, thirty-seven minutes. Anyway, that's what I said bitch anyway my number eight is can't get you out of my head which is a mini series by adam curtis um are we including mini series because that like totally changes what my list is well it's too late to change your list now because we're recording the podcast nick so that sucks for you i guess so right. <laughs> uh yeah I, mean, I could put one division on this list oh <laughs> hell yeah um hell yeah yeah th- this was pretty good um not my favorite Adam Curtis movie I've seen. However, I did think it was pretty interesting. So he basically tries to like, um, 
tackle this this question of like um why everyone feels so like isolated and depressed and shitty today and so he goes through like the history of the 20th century making these like strange connections through like different uh countries and time periods and world leaders and that kind of thing um that forms this kind of like nonsense narrative if you can even call it that um although i think that like each individual story that he talks about is, is very interesting um i do think that ultimately like it's a failure um in trying to like make everything cohesive but i think that this could have also been the point since he might have been trying to capture how like everything seems really up in the air and like nonsensical today but i don't know anyway that's a, that's one definitely worth checking out yeah nice i do quite like there's there's a there's quite a few uh, adam curtis documentaries on youtube which was, i've seen this one. i've not seen this one that you're talking about but it definitely an interesting very uh, eccentric uh, documentary yeah um, have you seen uh, all washed over by machines of love and grace no, I don't think I've seen that one. That's really good. Um, I, think I don't even remember band. the title of what I've seen. Gosh, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah, but he has, yeah. They're 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 really they're really engaging and they're very like, you know. Um Yeah, if you don't have like a, if you feel like you don't have like a uh a, a good like a materialist perspective on on history, um you should check him out. Don't 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 uh, do your do your own research outside of it too. He has some interesting documentaries. Yeah. yeah certainly. How about you guys? Um, number my, num my number eight is a movie called Quava uh, Dis Ida, um, which is either a Serbian, Bosnian film. Uh, one of those. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, it's specific. <laughs> um, this movie, uh, I mean, I guess it came out in 2020, technically. It was on, it was... Um, it was going for the Oscars last year. It was, I think it was nominated for Best Porn Film. Um, but I'm pretty sure it came out in 2021. Um, so I'm sorry for all you purists. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but if you guys don't know this movie, this is, uh, this is about the, um, the uh, Srebrenica massacre in uh, 1995, which is a very like, major event in the, um, the, uh, the war in Yugoslavia. Uh, um, it's when the Serbian army went to a little town in Srebrenica and uh, essentially uh, massacred a bunch of people, um, as you can tell by the uh, the title of that. Uh, God, I should be laughing. Um, the, uh, the the it's um it, it's it's a film that like it's hard for me to say that this is like a very like cinematically like impressive movie in terms of its kind of like. Uh, you know, in terms of like you know, finding like a very good like cinematic identity, and uh, you know, creating like this very like compelling narrative over it. I mean, this is a movie that's very rooted in a very significant historical event, and um, it's just, I mean, it's essentially just break it into a film form. I think in a very engaging way. Um, and I'm only mentioning this because some of the criticisms, and maybe in some way, agree with the way this movie the way that like. The event of the movie almost eclipses the movie itself. Um, uh, but I'll say that, personally, I felt like, I felt almost like speechless at the end of the movie. Um, just like, uh, you, you're, you know, you're, you're watching it all unfold. Um, and there's like very specific moments like to this uh, reference to this massacre that I recognize. You know, these, uh, 
the way that like um, you know the bodies were lined up in the um, uh, like the factories and the way they're kind of still like laying there now you know the uh, the way the trucks pulled up which there's actually like archival footage of of like them actually like uh, driving the people away um, and, and uh, all this stuff is like um, you know watching it like you know me watching it now or another year ago uh, is like uh, um, like like watching like archival footage is like one thing there's a little bit like, of, of a distance for me but me watching it with like a with a very like a like a targeted empathy I guess for like for, for like one of the characters uh, from, from one of the characters it's like a lot more it became a lot more powerful in the movie. Um, yeah so I'll say I'll say this much is that this movie is you know uh, I mean I could just talk about how it made me feel you know I think that speaks a lot to it um, this is a movie that a lot of people uh, really uh, responded to well um, and it's a movie that you should definitely check out if, if you're not familiar with the uh, the history of this. Um, yeah. Very cool. Does that make sense? I'll check it out. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nick? Uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that's me. Uh, <laughs> so Flynn, do I a comedy or something. <laughs> uh... I, this is going to be a controversial pick among this group, but I, I chose Dune as my number eight. Nice. Um, uh, I just, I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. I, I think the... This is an anti-Dune podcast. ...problem with this movie would probably be, like, that it felt really, like, emotionally detached, but, like, so was the book. So, I don't know. Um, I, I just, I, I think this is, like, I don't know. To me, this is another one of those, like, Lord of the Rings, like, one of those really great adaptations of something that seemed, like, impossible to pull off. I think the, the scale that they kind of told this at was, like, perfect, and, um, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought I thought the, um, the emotional barrenness of the movie was kind of unique to the movie, since in the book you have the, um, so most of the book takes place in like the heads of characters and so you get a sense of like you know their um motivations and like what's going on in their heads that way whereas in the movie since like they chose not to do voiceover which is like you know probably a good idea but they didn't really replace the that with anything else so the, the movie sure. felt like completely emotionally barren to me which is like probably the main reason i didn't really like it yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if uh, this is just me, but I feel like Denis movies are just kind of like that too. There's this like sort of like barrenness to them while being like very big and grand. It's, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I don't. I don't know if I agree. I mean, there's um. I don't know. There's like the emotional heights that that prisoner or Sicario gets to, pretty good at some points. Um, right. Whereas this one, yeah, yeah it just uh, felt like nothing. I guess I guess well, I'm more thinking about his sci-fi stuff. Like, um, uh, I feel like Arrival was kind of like that, and in a way, Blade Runner was too. Yeah, but even Blade Runner had like you know the yeah, famous meme sure, scene but... of uh, K like fucking up that computer and yelling. Yeah. I'll say um, uh, I'm not a big fan of Denisville though. Um, in fact, I really hate his movies in Sunbees, which a lot of people consider he's the best one. Um, I'm a little more applicable towards, like, uh, Prisoners, uh, Sicario, but that might be just because 
it was at the point that I watched it, it was like a, um, I don't know, it was something like very new to me. Um, this kind of like more like a grounded sci-fi type stuff or grounded, uh, uh, grounded type stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think my, my criticism of uh, Villeneuve, which I think I'm, am I pronouncing that right? Do you guys know how to pronounce that? No idea, I, but I, you're I, probably right. I think it's Villeneuve. Okay, Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. He, um, yeah, I feel like there's just like, um, the, like the only thing he really tries to get at in his movies is, is just try to like maximize the spectacle. Um, and I feel like this was a, my big problem in Sundays. This is a movie about, um, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but it's a movie about, um, it's this like unnamed war in uh, the Middle East and, um, it's essentially going, you know, it's it's uh, it's looking at the lives of a brother and sister who try to like um, trace back their like familial identity, and through it you see like almost like all the devastation of it. But it really only exists to the point of like spectacle. There's a lot of like, you know, a lot of shots that are, you know, wild to look at, but they kind of, you know, they only exist there to like really shock the audience. Um, I I struggle to find anything else in that movie outside of this like. Um, like holy shit factor of like what he's what he's depicting, um, and I think this is I have a similar criticism of Dune. Although I'll say I did like Dune um, a lot more than a lot of his other movies. Um, is that it feels like a movie that kind of relegates his emotional uh, core to like maximize his spectacle, and I think this is a real problem because I think the movie peaked early on um, with this kind of like almost like Nazi-like invasion. I mean. Yeah, to me, this, like, uh, uh, I think I mentioned this to Duran, but I, I, I was thinking of, like, even, like, the, the architecture of the conformist, um, like, it, like the, the architecture in Dune, like, reminded me of it. And when the, uh, the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the bad guys who I'm, I don't know. The Harkonnens? The Harkonnens, yeah. I haven't read the book, by the way. I haven't seen, I haven't even seen the You don't have to read um, the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, the way they were, like, almost, like, systematically, like, destroying it, it was, like, it was almost, you, yeah, it felt like you're just, like, this, this pure evil just, like, seeping in, and it's, like, I mean, I think I was, like, I, I yeah, it, it reminded me, like, a lot of, like, Nazi imagery that you see, uh, coming out of World War II, um, and it's a very, very evocative spectacle, um, and specifically, of course, I think, I think Nick is right that there's a kind of barrenness in his films, and kind of, like, uh, um, this, like, uh, uh, the way he sees the world is kind of, like, wide-open landscape. Um, and he, he, he always, like, tries to capture... And some to some degree, cap, he's able to capture the stillness of it. Um, but, I mean, dude, I mean, there, it's all, like... Be, there's, like, nothing there beyond this kind of, like, immediate spectacle. And so when you peak with a spectacle so early in the movie, the rest of the movie is just, like... Uh, I just think incredibly disappointing. I don't... I think as soon as they escaped... Um, the Har Harkonian, is it? Harkonian? Am I saying that right? Harkonian. Harkonian invasion. It just, like, there's nothing interesting about the movie, I think. I still, it's completely fell off a cliff for me. Maybe, like, maybe like you know, individual moments were okay, but it was like, yeah, I, I got nothing out of it. Um, but I would yeah, say it that does, the... It does, it does devolve a bit into, like, just battle spectacle, like, kind of towards the end. And yeah. towards the end, I mean, the latter half of the movie. Um, I, but I'll still probably watch the second one, so uh, I liked it enough yeah. to uh, be interested in the second one. I feel like I, I need to watch the second one. I have, like, uh, 
forced to because like I, I sat through the entire book I sat through the entirety of this movie you know if I don't, if I don't watch it then it then it'd be all for nothing yeah, yeah. all right uh what is your number what are we on seven seven yeah Do I have? uh seven. bad luck banging or loony porn yeah, it's pretty sick. Well, which one is it? One or the other, bud? Uh, Looney Porn. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. It's so it's a uh, Romanian movie um, about the school teacher who, um, whose like, sex tape gets leaked online. Um, but it's more about like the collective like insanity um, of like the, the COVID-19 pandemic. But, how, but really more about how like... Um, COVID just kind of, like, exasperating all the uh, underlying problems of, um, of, like, in Romania's case, like, uh, um, Nazism there, for example. Um, so I thought, that, I thought that was really interesting. How, like, it's kind of, like, depicting um, everyone just going cabin crazy and, like, you know, resulting uh, to, like, their worst instincts. So yeah, that's probably one worth a watch, I would say. Who yeah, I don't uh, know who about that one. <laughs> Rau, Rau Jude. Rau Jude. Has yeah. he made anything else that's like... I haven't seen anything else by him, no. I just I, I watched this one because I think it won like Berlin. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, my number seven is uh, speaking of this uh, sex tapes. My number seven is a movie called uh, Red Rocket. Oh. Um, I think you guys, have you guys seen this? I think you've seen this one. I've seen it. Yeah. And, all right. Uh, well, this is a new film from Sean Baker, who I really loved the Florida Project. Um, so, uh, um, and the Red Rocket is a little bit more. <laughs> over the top, I'd say, than uh, the Florida Project, which, um, um, you know, I'll mention it's interesting that this movie, uh, this movie got, like, pretty lukewarm reviews from critics, but... Uh, did it? I thought it did really well. A... Well, it did, I, I did, it did work, I mean, it got okay reviews, and some people, like, quite liked it, but I, I was reading through a lot of, like, pretty negative reviews of this film from pretty well, uh, well-reputed sources. Hmm. Not that any source has a good reputation, but, you know. <laughs> uh, but I just, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a uh, um, you know, it brings up my, all my passions together, which is a, a porn and, um, uh, yeah, just just porn, um, which I really like. In a, in when, a, when you put it in a, in a screen, another film I quite like this year. I think I mentioned to you guys to watch uh, Pleasure. Have you guys seen this one? I've not seen Pleasure. <laughs> I have not. That yeah, by? I really, I, I uh, it's about, it's this, it's a, it's a, it's a debut by a Swedish director, but it was, it's unique in the way that it was, like, it was got entirely, like, in the porn industry, and all the uh, actors in that movie were people who are, like, act like adult film actors. That sounds awesome. Uh, I see those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly, um, I, I, I am kind of, I'm always, like, fascinated this kind of, like, underbelly of, like, porn. Um, is this kind of very, like, a. Uh, uh, like trying to like uh in a sense like criticize it but also kind of uh 
embody like a, this almost like sexual pleasures that you can find in porn. Um, this was a really fascinating dynamic in pleasure, although I, but I think it was better even in Red Rocket. Um, I think the big appeal of Red Rocket, for those of you who don't know Red Rocket, it's about, it's about uh, this kind of almost like um, at least out of work porn star who comes back home and uh, um, uh, wrecks havoc to say the least around his town. Um, and this guy is kind of a, a shithead. Like, he's not a good guy, but there's something so like 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 uh, eccentric and uh, like alluring about uh, about him, which I'd say is like Simon Rex is like incredible. In this movie. Oh yeah, you can almost like see him. Like you could, yeah. If you if you watch some of his interviews, you can see why he was a cast kind of energy to him. Um, uh, and um, yeah, and so this 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 film kind of treads the line between this kind of a guy who's like so just like um, like magnetic and like uh, just, uh, just like obsessively watching this guy and the guy who literally like uses everyone around him and just like kind of like goes so far as like to destroy like the you know either you know in the film or like potentially like destroy the lives of certain of certain people um, and I mean yeah it 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 really toes this line well I mean I think this. Uh, some of the negative reviews I had criticized that it was a little bit too uh, over the top. <laughs> no, that's lame. Um, yeah, which is kind of lame. I agree. Um, I think there's still something really grounded about uh, um, a lot of this film. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I so being able to kind of being able to ground this like over the top, like out of the sort of personality, kind of uh, you know, like a very like a you know uh, middle America type uh, setting. You know? I think it's really. I think this this movie does it really well. What really struck me about um, about this movie was how like um, uh, the main character's mask never really slips. Um, since like you get the feeling uh, that he is putting on an act, um, more or less. I think so. But also like, it, it's almost like at the point where like the mask has like fully become himself. So there's no longer like a separation between his true self and like the mask he puts on for other for other people um which i don't know i find that really interesting mm. so he's bad yeah i don't know if yeah. i <laughs> i don't know if i even see i feel like he he is his true self i mean he's just like very like uh this this almost like this kid who hasn't really grown up he's just like uh um you know he's like uh he's he's um you know not realize like the effect he has on other people he doesn't want to he wants to live this like rock star life and he doesn't want to like uh engage with like more uh, the kind of responsibilities of life i guess yeah but i also think that he's like um, he seems like very aware of those responsibilities and he does seem aware like more think... or less of like the consequences but he just chooses like not to care about them i don't i don't think he's as explicitly aware of it i think maybe subconsciously he sees some of it coming and i think at the very end of the film like the very last shot of the film there's a yeah it's very explicitly like he's like almost he's almost like reflecting on everything but i think it's almost only in that moment there's like he's like I, he seems to me like a guy who just moves around life with almost like no self-reflection he just like openly lies to, or openly like uh, portrays himself as this kind of like oh uh, like over the top rock star because he generally sees himself like hmm. um, this guy's just gonna make it i mean he even talks about like it seems like he's just like this kind of temporarily uh embarrassed millionaire like he's just gonna make it big as soon as he just gets this girl to uh to la Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure if there's like a, a real self that's outside of what he's presenting. Yeah. Um, fair enough. 
but there's definitely a second side of him that there's a kind of um, at least at least the film tries to capture a kind of almost loneliness that uh, he's experiencing but I'm not sure if he's as aware of it as we are as the viewers I, I do like how yeah. like he never changes throughout the entire movie um, it's like zero character development whatsoever uh, for, for him yeah alright are yeah, we on yeah. are we on uh, number six? Uh have I I don't think I said what my number seven was. You don't get uh, to say number seven, say your number six. <laughs> what's your number What uh, was your number seven, Nick? I'll yeah, listen, I'll listen uh, to Dread you could uh, deafen yourself. <laughs> uh for me for me it was uh Titan. Um I uh I really enjoyed Titan. I thought it was uh you know, a good good cross between like what did I call it? I had I had a pretty good uh It's a cross between Crash and some other movie and I'm trying to remember what it was. Crash and Climax, I said it was a cross between Oh, because it's French. <laughs> well, I I don't know. I came out of that movie thinking that it was it was commentary on France as a nation, and I may be completely off on that, but that's what I came out of it thinking about. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, I think, I think you mentioned just, that to me, yeah. Yeah, it's just super interesting to kind of, like, pick out details from this movie, because, like, I don't know, like, what, what did you guys take from it? Because I, I thought it was about, like, French and, like, where where France is going as a as a country I don't know um, if I if I thought that there was a lot of like um uh commentary the movie had like at least something I don't think that really had like a specific kind of like message or anything like that but I think that what stood out to me the most thematically was like what I was trying to do with um gender like it seems to be like a a movie that's aware of um like trans issues and trying to do something about that in an interesting way um because like uh you know it's it's about this this woman who like pretends to be like a boy and then like she gives birth at the end which is kind of interesting so yeah yeah um, for i mean for sure it's about like but like i don't know if there's like something like cohesive like a cohesive like message is trying to give i don't know yeah, if you read my review of it, it's just me th uh, for three paragraphs uh, saying that I, I have no fucking idea what this movie is about. <laughs> trying to say. I, yeah. I noticed the trans issues, but it seemed to me that her uh, her going becoming a boy was out of like necessity more than anything. Was like yeah, trans, although like, I mean, in in movies like desire. in movies like there's a history of people doing things out of necessity because like to to get around like code issues. So I don't know. Uh, I don't think this movie was worried about it. That's true. That's true. But I mean, I, I like. I think it might have. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It, it is. It is a device that movies use a lot. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think. I, I think overall, like, I really like the the first part of the movie. Like the first like third or so when she was like a serial killer, and then like once all like the fireman stuff started, I I don't know, she became like less and less interested. Yeah. Um, I think like it really like loses like its shock factor around like a third of the way through. And doesn't really do anything interesting the last two thirds to make up for it. Hmm. 
Okay. No, I, 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 I don't know if I agree with you. I think the most shocking scene is the final one, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> I think by, by then was I was like, wild. by then I was like so bored, I like didn't care. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, I was like, uh, no, I mean, I, I have a, uh, there was some, I mean, I don't know if it's like how much of like a national statement. I think there's definitely like a, a you know, humanistic one in terms of like try to find some kind of catharsis somewhere. I can yeah. vaguely identify stuff. Um, I don't totally understand like why it went in certain directions. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's like I don't, I don't, I really don't feel like I can speak much of this film because I'm literally just like no. It's like any interpretation I I have, I feel like it contradicts itself. It's like persona. Um, like persona, sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I I really liked uh, Julia Ducarneau. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. It was her first, or at least her debut film, Raw. I really loved. Um, in a way that I'm not even sure I can explain properly. Um, and if, for those of you who've not seen Raw, it's essentially like a um, um, it's a story about a, a cannibal, but the cannibalism kind of acts as a metaphor for this uh, um, very like rapid coming of age that a character experiences in college. Um, it's almost like complete, uh, uh, you know, this like jump to degeneracy in a sense. Just start doing sex, drugs, all the stuff. Um, far cry from a kind of more you know, her upbringing, I think. I think. And they use a cannibalism metaphor for that. And something I, I would just say that's something I uh, identified with at least <laughs> at the time I watched it. Um, I really loved them. As like um, a, as like a aspiring cannibal yourself. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> that that was, um... but this one I just I don't like I can't I don't know what it's saying I don't know what's how to connect with it I just it's like a bunch of all these things and it's like. Uh... Yeah, I mean, there's there's um, you know, like, it's like, there's just a lot to wrap your head around in the movie. I think there's just like, because it it never really goes in any one direction you think it's going to. That there's some interesting ideas I think in the film. Um, the film is like very, uh, I think in the, the early on the film is very like like sexual or I guess sensual. Like there's a lot of like. Uh, like eroticism to how to present uh, the characters, um, even when they're like even murdering each other. I think there's, I think there's a, like a level of that to them. Right. Um, yeah. And as the movie goes on, it kind of like it, it keeps the, the 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 nudity, but but strips away all of the kind of like glorific the kind of sensationalism, right? Which I assume is where Duran got bored of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know me. I just uh, want to see like boobs. <laughs> just want to see boobs, right? Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. If you've been listening to me at all, <laughs> all, all, all my movie watching is just secretly me trying to see more boobs in a more like uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I'm like, turning like into the film industry. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the she's like having sex with a car. Like, what does it say? It's talking about like how how vapid uh, like um, our sexuality is if it's only based on flesh. Is that what it's saying, or is this just like a like an element of her trauma that she uh, can never like? escape pass and it's like integrating her sexuality um this is like I completely have no fucking idea <laughs> it's completely unrelated but i thought it was really funny that like uh, julie DeCarno came out and said that like crash wasn't a major inspiration for her when making this movie yeah yeah um <laughs> which i don't believe at all but i just thought yeah, it was pretty this is like very 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 reminiscent of crash at least at least like the first third of the movie is i would say but and then it kind of like devolves into whatever 
Maybe I just wanted more Crash. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I just I like Crash please, too much. Please note we're we're talking about David Cronenberg's Crash. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> uh, Nick, what was your number six? My number six was a YouTube documentary. Which YouTube documentary? Uh, Disney's Fast Pass: <laughs> A Complicated History. Oh, nice. So, uh, this channel, Defunct Land, they they do like uh, just uh, history videos and like old Disney attractions that don't exist anymore. But they they undertook this this project, which ended up as a one hour and forty three minute film. Uh, basically just, like, talking about the system that Disney implemented at its theme parks, and how it's, like, no one really knows if it was, like, a good or a bad thing that helped foot traffic, but, um, it doesn't exist anymore, so it's basically, it's a lot of things. It goes through the history, and then it goes through a very complex data simulation of, um, like, a theme park and if this this system would would actually bring crowds down um he spent like a lot of money doing this and it was like way more effort than he usually puts into like an average episode but it it's it's like really really fascinating to watch how like this one service can like completely affect like crowds and in big places like that. I don't know. This is interesting to me, so. <laughs> What's the theme park yeah, podcast episode have... coming out, Nick? Uh, soon. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I usually only want use YouTube to watch a dream videos. But, uh, maybe <laughs> this is good, too. Yeah, I just needed to watch Town bits. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing really more else to say about this, because this is just, like, so niche that I... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is like I shouldn't even be talking about this, but it's on your list. It's on your list, man. So we gotta talk about. Yeah, it. I mean, if Durant could do a mini series, you could probably get away with a YouTube documentary. That's true. Yeah, um, okay. I'll forgive yeah. you. Boris, what's your number six? <laughs> uh, but I've stayed, I've stayed pure. I'll mention I've stayed pure. All of my movies are feature length. Uh, All right. So what's your sixth feature length movie, Boris? <laughs> it's the Dream Music Video. No, it's a <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. And fantasy. Whoa, that's my number five. <laughs> By Raisuki Hamaguchi. Um, and this is actually a, uh, a bit of a foreshadowing for a later pick on my list uh, that I won't spoil. <laughs> I won't spoil. My... Wait, you had another movie this year? Um, <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, Wheel of Fortune Fantasy is a... Uh, I guess three uh, separate short stories, all uh, engaging with themes in a very uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi esque uh, manner. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, uh, it, it, what I mean by that is this, he kind of creates these very like uh, neurotic melodramas. Um, and you have characters who just like reveal uh, like these complete, like these like deep like secrets of themselves. Like in these like, these awkward manners of uh, it's just like, like or other otherwise awkward like conversations um there's specifically like i think all three um yeah all three of these films uh of the all three of the the sections of the film um all the stories they have this like there's always, like one specific scene where it's like you just have no idea where the conversation is going and it just feels like the characters like 
like deepest feelings are just like naturally flowing out of them. But it's like the most like neurotic conversation you've ever heard. Um, it's, I think the biggest example I could give, I think, is the first one where uh, you know this uh, this ex girlfriend of this uh, this uh, this guy who's like uh, is in this managerial position in this Japanese company. I think I don't, I'm not sure if they actually specify what he actually does, but um, he's an investor. He, he visits him at yeah yeah that sounds right. Um, it doesn't matter too much probably, but uh, she she kind of goes to his like she like hijacks him in his like uh, place of work and she's like uh, um, basically like talks to him and talks about this like relationship he's in right now. And the whole time he's like, "You have to get the hell out of here. You have to get the ha hell out of here." And out of nowhere, she's just like, um, "Don't you still love me?" And he's like, "Yeah, I still love you." And it makes like no. <laughs> it's like it's the weirdest like like unfolding of events that you'd never expect, but it kind of. It's just like, it's like the basis of all these Hamaguchi films is that he 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 get, he creates these situations, get these characters who just like, just completely let themselves go to each other, and as extension to, to us as an audience. Um, yeah, it's it, in a way this movie is it's very strange. It's a very strange movie, but it's like, um, there's something. Yeah, there's it gets in like a really cathartic places. I think the best one. I think most people agree. The best one's the third one. Oh, for sure, yeah, um, incredible. Which, which, yeah, which kind of, uh, which you know, you know, looking back at the beginning, it's kind of almost like a very awkward situation. But then the way it kind of uh, exposes itself and then like gifts itself into like a, a a moment that they can find this catharsis. Um, it's a very, it's very, uh, it's pretty invigorating, honestly. Like it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite something. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you always have to remember that this is like a this is Japanese director. Your uh, Japan is like very uh, has some very like conservative social standards of how they, you know, how people talk to people, how people are like, you know, it's kind of a hierarchy of like, of um, you know, it, it's just like a, a stronger degree to like whatever it is I think in the U.S. But um, so so when uh, Havaguchi is able to like transcend these, like find these like specific moments, find these kind of almost like. Uh, the, the kind of a synergy between like very like odd and weird characters that uh, is able to explode these like social boundaries. Um, I think it's really fascinating and uh, definitely supposed to check out. Yeah, what really stood out to me in the movie, um, really with all of Hamaguchi's movies, is how like um, there's there's like this uh, the audience is kind of like aware of the fact that they're watching a movie because like for the third sequence, for example, it opens with like this very strange text crawl about how like the sequence of the sequence like takes place in the future and like a future where um uh there's been like this massive hack and like no one uses the internet anymore like that kind of thing um so that kind of like takes you out of the movie almost but then he just gradually like brings you back in through like um these kind of like ridiculous situations that nevertheless um feel very very realistic on an emotional level um, I don't know if you guys have seen... Have you seen Asako 1 and 2, Boris? I have. Yeah, yeah so... Um, in that movie, there's another example of how, like... Um, there's a very, like, fantastic situation that happens to this girl where, like... Uh, she falls in love with this guy, and he, he leaves her, and then she um, uh, finds another guy who looks exactly like him. Uh, which is, like feels like very very artificial on the surface but then um later like when she chooses to go with um the first guy that that she met 
Spoilers, 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 spoilers! <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oops. Well, anyway. He's twisted the movie. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. The movie's still good. You should watch it. But <laughs> there's... Um, you, you really, like, uh, understand that, like, visceral emotion there. Um, so I think that, like, uh, Hamaguchi is, like, very aware of cinematic artifice. And he's able to wield it in a way to, like... Um, make it appear more real than reality, which I, which I really like, which I really like. Um, also another, another note about Wheel of Fortune Fantasy, it's very like, have you seen any like Eric Romer films for us? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like y you must've like seen the connection though, uh, with him there. Right. Cause like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Like. I don't know. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. With Eric Romer, it's a lot more... Uh, the difference with Eric Romer is that, like, the... Uh, and I think this is actually a key difference with Hamaguchi, is that Eric Romer's movies were made in, like, 60s France. France. Uh, you know, there's kind of, like, almost, like, very sexually liberating environment. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, th there's a kind of... There's a different kind of freedom to those movies, I think, that... Uh, Hamaguchi doesn't quite have in his kind of the the, the, the Japanese like contemporary society, which is a lot more restrictive, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, the Rover comparison I think is still very apt. Like it's pretty same kind of like a uh, uh, quiet uh, like uh, um, uh, like uh, quiet existentialism, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, on to number five, yeah. right? I said, I said, you, <laughs> you said, you said, like, uh, you said, like, have you seen Eric Romer? I'm like, of course. Um, and I'm, su I'm suggesting, like, everyone, you know, obviously you haven't seen Eric Romer. Right? It's not like a, it's not I've wasted all my life watching movies. Right? It's, not, it's like <laughs> the thing most normal people have seen, right? <laughs> you haven't seen Eric Romer. Hey, you've seen, seen Eric any Romer, movie. right? Yeah, of, of course, right? <laughs> of course, right? I, I honestly, I don't even <laughs> know if I've seen an Eric Romer film. I haven't either. Wow. I'm not sure. How are you even a real person? It's like the Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> yeah, more people have seen yeah, the I didn't Eric know Romer's what entire movie. Like, so. <laughs> My number six was on that. Yeah. It was good. Damn. Okay. Um, I saw it a while ago. I don't really remember it, to be honest. I think I, I think I overrated it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh,. It's got it's got that just crazy crazy boy Leo's Carax energy, which I which I really appreciate it. It's worth a worth a watch. Cool. Yeah, I watched uh, three of his movies for the first time this year. I watched the I yeah. didn't see a net, um, and I and I and I kind of didn't watch a net because I, I didn't think it'd make it in my top ten. I just kind of wanted to. Uh, uh, I just wanted to watch movies I thought would make it in there. Interesting. Um, but I quite I saw, Lovers. Lovers on the Bridge, which I actually selected for a, a film screening for this club I run. I don't know if you know about this, Nick. Uh, <laughs> well, he never, he never shows up to the club. I run so I don't the know club if he, club if he Fridays, Fridays at 7. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Uh, I am I selected aware. it for just, a French screening. Um, but people I didn't know showing up to things. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Lovers on the Bridge is really good. I love that movie. Lovers on the Bridge, I saw... Um, I saw... Uh, for the first time, I saw the uh, <laughs> flanking on the name. The movie made like 2012. What was it called? Holy Motors. Wow, I'm, uh... Yeah, Holy Motors. Yes, I saw that for the first time. Never seen that before. That I saw, uh, 
Um, I think it's, I think his debut movie, or maybe not, no, not quite his debut, second film. Mava's song. Which I'm also forgetting the name of. Yeah, yeah, Mava's song. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really like that one. Uh, that one I quite liked. Um, that one I think it's hard for me to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, the problem, I, I think Holy Motors. I thought it was eclectic. It was eccentric. I just I didn't get too much out of it. Um, I can't say much. There's a lot of things I really liked about it, but it's like it's kind of cohesive piece. I mean, I liked how eccentric it was. I guess I don't. I wouldn't. You know, rate it very highly. It was part of the reason I didn't decide not to watch it. Um, although I think it's a very good film. Uh, um, but the one I really liked is Bad Blood. Huh. Um, interesting. And it was quite. It was just. It was basically because of the ending, which I found like extremely powerful. Um, You'll, you'll have to watch that one. <laughs> I won't explain it too much. I was pretty zoned uh, out. But I Lovers on the Bridge, I also thought. Were... Oh yeah, Lovers on the Bridge is really good too. Um, a very like strange film, very strange love story. That one. Yeah. Um, I think it also says a lot about uh, contemporary France, um, <laughs> which I was kind of the reason why I selected it. For French screen. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to see in it, but we uh, we watched Holy Motors. Uh, at some point this year, and I, I really enjoyed that. I also, I want to see the Sparks Brothers documentary, which, you know, I Sparks made the music's, music for Annette, so that definitely has is like another aspect that has me interested in this. Yeah, let me know what you um, think about that. Yeah. Um, Boris, what was, your, uh, what was your five? Wheel of Fortune My number fantasy. five. Oh, it was... <laughs> Those are just that? the next three spots. No, it's uh, it's no. My number five is is masks. No, six was real fortune fantasy. So we called masks. I don't know. If, I feel like you guys haven't seen this one, but you know it at least. Uh, uh, vaguely, it's about like a mass shooting, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's the the whole premise of the movie is that there's two, um, the uh, the parents of uh one of the victims and the parents of the perpetrator. Uh, meet up in like this church setting like years later to kind of come to terms with uh, you know the tragedy essentially and try to get past it um, essentially um, yeah it was uh, it's just yeah much like Quavo decided that I feel like this movie this movie is um, not like a strong cinematic identity you know? it's kind of a film that uh, very reminiscent of a lot of films I've seen doesn't you know outside of this kind of very like a muted setting of it you know, it's not a, uh, you know, it's, it's not really a, uh, it doesn't do a lot, a lot, a lot of new stuff. Um, but uh, I think the reason I liked it so much, um, besides the really like a powerhouse ending, I thought, um, was, was the way it kind of, uh, almost like transcended this kind of, um, this topic of mass shootings. Um, and I, okay. Uh, what I mean by that is that um, the, the problem with making any movie about something like mass shootings is that it's like so so politicized. And people who like you just just like maybe casually watch the news have this kind of not only like a like their own opinions but like a wide array of like other opinions of it, like all of these like angles that uh, mass shootings have been uh, uh, because it's such like a, a part of like the national conversation. Like everyone's aware, of it. Um, and, and at least in America, I'll say uh, that much. Um, um, and this is a film that. I kind of went into skeptical because it's a film that's so like it's so incredibly politicized. A movie that tries to kind of like uh, almost like transcend that politicization is kind of um, you know I, I mean I don't know it just, it feels like it feels like I've I've heard it before. It feels like if, if, if yeah. it's like trending 
it's like it, it, it's hard to believe something could like uh like do something new with the, with this topic um that hasn't been like some somehow like talked about by some like uh, some yeah random th- that's why like i kind of like avoid a lot of movies about this topic but it seems like this one yeah is something a little bit different yeah so the uh well i mean i don't want to say it's different different because i don't want you to go in expecting like it's gonna change your whole perspective on things um but the the whole i mean the whole point of this movie is that it it tries to like break the politicization of it there's this kind of like there's a there's the, the constant tension is this like the, the these 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 family like they want they they desperately want like they're, they're, it's definitely grasping for empathy for them they, they want like you know it's one thing that their children die but it's been affecting their lives for so many years um and it's like something they can't move past and it's like it, it, and it's waiting on them that's so badly they can't uh, they can't live essentially right and they're trying to break the reason they're meeting up in the first place is they're trying to break this but the the tension with that is that it's like so there's this like completely politicized angle. Uh, the, the way they interact each other with each other, um, you know, is not only informed by their grief, of course, but it's also informed by this kind of uh, um, like social understanding of like what each uh, each person should be, you know, like each person should say. You can see this very directly in the film. Um, and so, yeah, what you're watching is them just trying to like slowly break this apart and trying to grasp that empathy. And I think. There's a few lines at the very end that one character said that some of the characters say when they finally are able to like actually communicate something like get get deep into their heart and look in and communicate something that's like extraordinarily powerful. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a great film. Yeah, just say beyond that. That's cool. Let's check that one out. Um, my number five was uh, again. A controversial pick within this group, um, Pig. Pig. Um, I just, I, you know, I love Nicolas Cage. I, I honestly, like, I, the ending line that he gives is, like, honestly, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sentimentalist, but because I love her is, like, I don't know, man, that's an all-timer for me. That's, that's such a good line. And I just, I think this whole story of, of, like, you know, trying to find what's real with you and trying to, like, you know, cut through all of the bullshit is, is, um, I don't know. It was a very powerful story to me. I, I, I enjoyed how, how, um, kind of, like, weird it got to with, with the whole, like, underground Portland chef fighting ring. Yeah, that part I really liked. Yeah, there's it's there's just like a lot in here that's that's just I I, I think it did a, a a good job of like talking about and I, I the emotion really comes across I think for me, which um which I think really helps it. Um, I know you guys didn't really look as fondly on this movie as, as that, but um yeah yeah. Yeah, I, I, thought yeah, I really the, one of like the... it, especially since I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I think my biggest issue with it was that like a lot of the things that it does doesn't really attempt to tackle them cinematically. Like the, I thought a lot of like the editing and the cinematography was kind of like serviceful at best. Um, and I think the premise was very very strong, but I don't think that the um, the production kind of like uh, tapped into the full potential of it. That was my main issue. Uh, 
I guess I see what you're saying. I, I, I think I was just so invested in the story that it didn't really matter to me. Fair enough. I do think it's, I just... a, it's, a, it's a cute movie. Yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah, we're... God, we've been doing this for like almost two hours now. All right, let's, let's, let's pick up the pace. Barely at our top five. Let's pick up the pace. Let's pick up the pace. All right. I'm, I'm going to go through... I'm going to go through my entirety of my, my top five right now. All right. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. Good. Good. Good movie. France. Very good. Very postmodern. Great, great film. Days. It's Simon Lang. You should see it. The Card Counter. It's Paul Schrader. You should see it. Drive My Car. Hamaguchi is a god. All right. I'm done. Uh, really quick. So France. Um, France was really interesting. So this movie got like um, kind of like flopped at Cannes. Like everyone like hated it. And then... Um, pretty quickly, like, once it's been, it was released by Kino Lorber, um, uh, it's been getting, like, some, some traction. Um, I think it's really interesting. So, it's, on, on the surface, it's, like, a story about, um, this news reporter who develops, like, ennui, um, kind of, like, becomes, like, disillusioned with her job and, like, tries to, um, go into, like, philanthropy and service, but that still, like, doesn't really do anything to, like, solve her depression. And eventually she kind of just, like, accepts her uh uh her fate as like this um news anchor but while she's like completely disillusioned with like um everything she's doing and like the institution she's propagating by being that news anchor but i think it's like a more like interesting commentary on how like um i find it i find it kind of like a like a post-apocalyptic movie in the sense that like um it's about a lot about like um, institutional decay and how like um, nothing that really can be done to solve like a lot of like the core issues that the world is facing right now, at least like within um, the current institutions that exists. Um, so instead, like all that's kind of left is either like complain about it or just like become like a nihilist and like continue your life. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. You said you had Card Counter as your third? My second. 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 I have it as my fourth, so. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We wanna, we wanna Boris is wrong about this movie. Let's have a discussion about the Card Counter. Card Counter is mid. It's <laughs> mid. You guys are overrating it. I'm a, I'm a Paul Schrader okay, auteurist. Honest to God. A Paul Schrader auteurist, so sure. I cannot see any of the... Uh, criticisms in his work he's perfect it, uh, yeah honest know, to god i was i watched it i i watched it with uh with some of the guys from our club and i was literally sitting there at the credits like staring down at the ground trying to figure out why the hell you guys like this movie so <laughs> i did not get it it's just, not to me. it's just like in a decent it's in a decent film but it's like 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 what does it do that's so special that that like paul schrader movies haven't done before or like uh, other movies that were Brissani like, and it seems, the end. To, it seems to be okay. Did, did oh you, yeah, it references yeah. Brissani. It, 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 it references um, Pickpocket at the end. I don't think he's done that before. Yeah, I, I thought. Uh, yeah, I thought. I, 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 I thought of the Pickpocket thing, but more than the end, more than that, the ending I thought was that um, the painting, um, you know, where they touch the touching the hand of God. What's it called? Uh. Um, the one where like uh, Adam the... touches God or something. 
Yeah, it's that a, one. Sissian Chapel. It looked exactly. It was the same pose of it. Yeah, the hand of God yeah. in Adam. That's what it's called. Um, it reminded me exactly like that, which made me like roll my eyes so hard. I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was so stupid. I thought it was like the dumbest ending ever. Thought it was sick, man. <laughs> I thought the whole movie was just like. I thought the movie was engaging with some interesting things, but I thought I had nothing like that interesting to say about them. I think that it's like uh, I was just like I was like it, I don't I was very interested in the the like whole like morale narrative about like you know Guantanamo Bay torture. Plus I don't know like I I found the the relationship between um, Ty Sheridan and Oscar Isaac to be engaging. Um, I. I, I don't know. Like I, I understand where you're coming from. Like this does feel very like it's it's another Schrader movie about like morally objectionable people. But I, I don't. I, I love Oscar Isaac. I can't. Um, I really enjoyed it because um, I liked how uh, throughout the movie there's this tension between whether or not um, Oscar Isaac's character is gonna like be able to um break out of this uh like limbo that he's put himself in the limbo being like the constant gambling uh at, like the low stakes um but at the very end like it, it kind of shows how um he ultimately is like consumed by it uh which I thought, I thought was really interesting and i think it's um it's a good metaphor for um like the legacy of like 21st century u.s imperialism uh i think that the way that like he portrayed Abu Ghraib with like that very strange filter thought was was really interesting in the and the rock music. Yeah, I was the that whole kind of thing with with Willem Dafoe and all those flashbacks. I just I think that was like really really like interestingly done with with the like wide angle lens and how kind of disorienting it was for for even you as the viewer. And then there's there's the whole like Fall Guy narrative that just like I don't know. There's just something like really like real and raw to me about that. So it's, it it spoke to me as it as it as movies sometimes do. Yeah, that movie that movie slapped. Or is it just stupid? Yeah, as as a war criminal, this movie really t- touched some spots. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I was like. To me, the whole poker table, it just seemed like a kind of extension of that prison environment. Where, um, yeah. I remember the beat, like, he was he was in prison for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it granted him this kind of, um, you know, it, it gave him a lot of social comfort. He was, like, cushioned. And it was a way of, like, not dealing like, with, like, his of... inner demons as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was kind of, like, meaningless in that sense. And then he when he eventually, I think there's a, there's a kind of, like, sense of how prison is, like, it's, like, so controlled that you don't have to, like, you're not engaging with the real world outside of it, that I think there's like a parable to the poker table there. Um, so I think that's what he was looking for in the poker table, maybe. Um, but then I also thought that like the way he, the way he like, the, his idea, like Schrader's idea of how to break out of it was this kind of, I guess, this like religious autonomy, right? Which I, that's how I interpreted the ending, which I thought was really dumb. And, uh, um, Religious autonomy? Know, what no, atonement. Am I saying that right? Like what, uh, just atonement? No, I don't know. Atonement. Oh, okay. <laughs> so no idea what language. you're saying. English is my first language. I, I fuck up words. All gotcha. Time. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was yeah. religious. I don't um, know. it's kind of like it's kind of, maybe it's like radical love or something. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, I think maybe if you can maybe you can argue the movie is an image, but I think it embraces the kind of like a religious, uh, almost uh, like maybe it's like secular in some sense, but it kind of it finds a lot of uh, value in religious symbolism. I think. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, his, his his solution is like well, he has this like it's almost like this uh, kind of paternal sacrifice that he has with Ty, uh, Ty Sheridan, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a hot lady girlfriend. <laughs> That's the. I mean, it's not interest. It's not like that interesting. I don't know. I don't get it. It seems like kind of like it's one thing to 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 portray this stuff, but like wh- the way he tries to break out of it is like it's like this is this sucks. It's not. It's nothing. It's well, like, I guess the point know. is that like he's not really able to, which I found very interesting. Well, I think the part. Of the, I think part of the movie believes in to, to some extent. Maybe not to a total like. Uh, but there's a kind of like romantic notion of like this this life that he sees outside of it, even if you, even if it admits that it can't break out of it. And I think and on that again, on that note, just like, too, oh, you know, I thought it was interesting how like um, when at the end, spoilers, he kills Willem Dafoe. Um, it's almost like manneristic. It's there's like this sense that um, he doesn't really want to do it, but he almost like has to. But that was interesting. Yeah, there's the the whole like he has to do this because of uh, because of what he did to Ty Sheridan, and also like he, uh, he really like wants to put this behind him, but now he can't. Yeah, it's interesting how like um, most of yeah, the violence I, I also occurs off screen too. It's called boring. No, I'm kidding. It's a, <laughs> uh, yeah, I interpret that. I interpret that as uh, like this like almost like karmic sadomasochism that he was uh, engaging. Which then reminded me of a of a Japanese director named Hisao Sasaka, who um, I was like, oh, his movies are so much better than. Oh yeah, have you seen Muscle? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I gotta get. It. I'm waiting for the Sato restoration. <laughs> I won't look. <laughs> so was uh. It'll be. It'll happen one day. Give oh, us, my give turn. Give us the sweet sweet number uh, four. Number four. All right, I'll do a quick rundown. I'll try to be quick about each one. Nice. Um, we'll talk about more if you want to. Okay. Number four, uh, Memoria. Uh, I literally watched it yesterday <laughs> for this. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that a, a, a foreign director can come make an English movie and not have not have it like suck ass, right? Very very rare. Very occasion. rare. Yeah. Um, but Memoria actually interestingly integrates its kind of like uh, the kind of like. Um, I don't know the, the, the cinematic identity that uh, I would say Joe, which is a, uh, the nickname that everyone gives this director. That Joe uh, uh, found in his uh, like um, Thai films, but uh, he integrates in a kind of uh, more like modern setting, um, which might not seem like it would work because the the point of his uh, I, I think like what he's what the kind of world that he creates is a very like um, uh, uh, you know a belief in that there's a kind of like almost like spiritual ambiguity to the world that we can uh, we have to like find that uh like modernity or any kind of like structure human structures can never quite touch um and that's why his movies always feel like really magical uh despite not like uh visually often uh showing anything magical uh oh i guess actually hmm, maybe that's not fair yeah no i mean there's there's okay i'll say this one there's a degree in his movies that it feels like the the kind of magical uh, aspects of them are almost like very mundane and they're kind of very very well integrated with this kind of almost uh like naturalist uh view of the world that like you'd see some yeah. something like Hong Sang like it's very 
uh, matter of fact, like, uh, that's what stood out to me the most um, when I, when I first um, watched Uncle Boomney, which is the first one I've saw, I've seen by him. Yeah. Yeah, Uncle Boomney's dubbing is incredible. Um, but this one's also interesting because, um, for a few reasons, is that Tilda Swinton plays, like, a, uh, maybe not explicitly an expat, but somebody who's, like, in a foreign country, and there's this kind of, uh, disconnect between her and the world that the film is kind of trying to reconcile with. Um... And also the, the the kind of more like contemporary structures. A lot of these uh, spaces that the movie, at least in the first half, all the spaces that the movies uh, the movie exists in, feel like you know very like these kind of like like academic institutions. You know, like a lot of these like uh, museums where they have art exhibitions. Um, and the movie doesn't outright reject these, of course. Um, but it, it finds something like really fascinating. Yeah, uh, um, I'm not sure if I can explain very well because uh, I don't maybe totally don't understand it myself. Um, but it's interesting, in, in, in a director that's, that, that so often runs to the countryside to find the real spirit of the world, can find such, a, such meaning in a, in a, in a lot of like contemporary, uh, contemporary life, contemporary city life. Um, um, if nobody has seen any of these guys, this guy's movies, uh, Uncle Boomy, Chopin uh, Maladay, um, all quite good. Uh, Memoria, I think, is probably his most successful. Um, so it's not a good, oh, really? bad idea to start with. Huh. Um, yeah, in my opinion. Um, uh, three uh, is uh, is uh, is actually the science soda movie Red Post on Esther Street. Um, I didn't see that. I I'm just gonna say that. right off the bat, I'm a yeah, I'm a massive science soda fan. I'm going to like fucking love any anything that he directs and writes and writes. It's the important part. Um, I'm going to like uh, uh, either I'm going to either overrate or uh, not like at all. <laughs> um, and this is no exception. Um, I'm not. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot that happens in this movie that I feel that even watching it, me, I felt like it was completely like this is like aimless. This is like, it's I mean hard to say what it's say. It's hard to even. I'm not even sure if it's saying anything. It's just trying to be like. Uh, it's just this weird science sonoism. Um, um, but I mean, it really like, uh, the ending is just is so good. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but it's, it uh, the whole pr the whole the whole point of this movie is that it. Uh, it, it's kind of it's detailing the production, or rather, the ca mostly the casting of a certain film, um, and the whole idea behind the casting is that it's gonna, the, the director's going to cast a bunch of non-actors, um, and of course, a lot of these non-actors bring in their own like uh, like you know personal lives into their performances, um, and furthermore, their, their own personal lives kind of extend beyond their performances, and they kind of um, uh, the, towards the finale, they're actually shooting the film. You know, a lot of these guys end up. You know, these guys aren't. You know, main actors. They're they're kind of extras, and it's a it's a film that that wants to kind of look into the uh, the individual lives of each extras and make a uh, a kind of holistic uh, worldview out of the kind of like a multiplicity of uh, human existence, I guess. Uh, but also, it's it's a it's a very like life affirming that kind of wants to uh, uh, really find like some kind of like a very visceral uh, uh, catharsis and. These, these almost like unrelated lives um, and it's really fascinating um, and yeah I mean the ending the ending is so good dude the, 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 the final like sh the final like scene of the film um, but this is pretty standard with science stone like all his endings are incredible yeah just about to mention uh, every single uh, yeah. ending Number two. Movies. yeah amazing yeah, the second one is Drive My Car uh, which Duran also has I think is number one yes uh, not a this is definitely not a controversial pick uh, no um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned a lot, a lot of the stuff I mentioned about uh, Wheel of Fortune Fantasy are kind of similar here. Um, there's very, a lot of it's very neurotic, how it, uh, 
how it presents its like character relation, uh, relationships, very odd, oddball. Um, but again, there's a kind of catharsis there. I think uh, it, this is in some ways actually similar to Red Post on Extra Stream, the way it integrates or finds this kind of um, finds a reflection of our our, our like inter like inner realities um, in the kind of uh, performances that we create. Um, this yeah. entire movie um, is like it's like a character who can like really even can only really live his life through his art artwork right and it, it gives him this kind of very like alienated experience right and the movie kind of tries to tries to transcend this um i'll mention this which i didn't um uh i guess i didn't mention with the actually you don't see it as much in a way of fortune fantasy but you definitely see this in an Osaka one and two is that they're very keen eye on like landscape and the way that yeah um yeah the ending know, of people, Osaka people, was all like landscape. interact with their landscape yeah yeah, of course. Um, and I think in Osaka one and two, there's a there's a there's a clear like difference between the kind of more rural beginnings of the film and the, uh, the, the city uh, the city that the, most of the middle takes place in. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Hamaguchi, I think, really understands this, the the way uh, people interact with uh, with um, you know the the world around us. Um, and of course, in Drive My Car, it's literally about driving through landscapes. So you see all this a lot um, in this film. Uh, Okay. Yeah, with um, with Drive My Car, what really stuck out to me was how like um, how he does like a I think more so than a lot of his other movies, he does a lot of like a uh, good job in trying to like ground it. But um, despite the fact that it's like so grounded, he kind of like beats you down uh, throughout like the very very long runtime. The kind of like um, melancholy that's uh, presented through the main character. But despite this, like extreme groundedness he's still able to find these like small transcendent moments like um for example when um the, the deaf actor and someone else are like acting outside near in like this like little park um and like the entire scene is just a scene from uncle vanya that they're rehearsing but at least to me like that was a very like transcendent yeah. moment yeah 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 the basis of this movie is uh people who uh literally can't communicate with each other because they're being different languages it's kind of part right. of performance um and this is like a very like of course a very like it's very much a reflection of the, the reality who, of people who uh can't seem you know maybe can even understand each other but can't seem to communicate with each other um another sign of this kind of very you know constricted uh social life in japan um, uh, but i think it's also very relevant here it's the reason like a lot of people here seem to connect with this one um, this uh inability to communicate with people contemporary context yeah i mean yeah. the the film like literally yeah, ends with an epilogue like the the film really ends with, like an epilogue that takes place during covid or at least it's like implied so sure yeah but yeah it's three hours there's a lot of depth to this um we actually screened this uh for my club um and we had like a long discussion trying to pick apart like every character uh, and it's, it's a really rewarding film yeah Definitely not. it's not a bad thing that's just so uh critically funny. Um, and my first film, uh, which is actually the worst film, uh, I, I hate so much, called The Worst Person in the World. It's pretty mm -hmm. uh, It's pretty telling, because it's also the worst movie in the world. You had a very interesting uh, reaction to this movie. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how to, how to, <laughs> how to parse this exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, like, I don't know about you guys. I think I think there's a lot of there's a sense of like escapism to movies, you know, that we're watching like 
how other people live their lives. You know, maybe there's like some small reflection ourselves, but usually it's small and grounded, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I don't really like. You know, I don't. I really hate uh, like capital H hate watching movies that just makes me think about myself the whole time. You know. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, worst person in the world. You know, I felt like it was describing me. You know. Jesus. Um, which is terrible. Like, I'm not an interesting guy. I don't know why people want to make movies about me. <laughs> what, what, what was the character that you related to the most? Was it the, uh, the, the main character? It was not actually the main character. It was the, uh, it was, uh, um, Axel, uh, who's this kind of, a, who, who's a, who's her older boyfriend for most of the movie. He also writes his, like, very crude comics, and, uh, something happens to him to the end, which makes him reflect on his, uh, his whole life essentially right mm. um, and this is the part that i really hated because uh uh he said a lot of things that i didn't like um, um that uh you know my therapist says i should tell them with other people but you know whatever <laughs> uh, but yeah this is uh <laughs> i mean god awful movie well boris if you're in this movie yeah, i have I to i don't see know it. why they make this garbage yeah no i'm not a you know i don't know i mean you could watch it just to uh you know hate this movie you know like hey watch you know i don't know if you guys do that i do that all the time but yeah i don't know i don't know it's a disgusting movie it's an embarrassing it's embarrassing that they even made it. it's embarrassing that we we should we allow these kind of movies to be made, you know? <laughs> um and yeah god it's my number one <laughs> yeah i'll uh, i'll definitely check it out i think it comes out in theaters next week so i'll probably check it out then oh it's disgusting they actually got a release here oh, yeah yo. It's surprising they got a release because they re- it was released by Neon, who is known for not releasing their films, like Memoria. Oh well, and they released their their worst one. Their worst, their, their worst, worst movie. Yeah. Nick, yeah. let's let's hear your top yeah. five real quick. My top top five. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, four uh, five and four were Pig and Card Counter. Um, okay, cool. Uh, my top three. Uh, Oh man, uh, is there gonna this be is. Are you Spider Man on here? <laughs> this is it's yeah. It's gonna be very telling of who I am. <laughs> um, uh, so number three is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. Nice. Number two is Spider Man No Way Home. Let's go. And yes. number one is the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> that rocks. Let's go. Let's um, go. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh we've done an entire podcast on the Suicide Squad, so uh, I'll just keep it brief in thinking that this is um one of my new favorite movies of all time. Hell yeah! Um, this is uh it, I don't know it just it embodies like everything I want out of a movie, which I don't know that uh, I don't know that. I, I just, I'm here, like, listening to all of these picks that are, like, you know, serious foreign movies, and meanwhile I'm over here and, like, this is, like, this is just what I want out of movies. I, I don't, I don't ask for much. Um, Nick, don't be apologetic. Clearly. All right. Am I right? <laughs> Nick, em- embrace the movies you like. Never apologize. Okay. Uh, shall we, shall we discuss Ava a little bit? Uh yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil all of the uh, Ava movies for Boris. 
Um, yeah. So I've seen the original series when I was a lot younger, but uh, I don't. I don't know. I have to rewatch it. Um, I, I, I really liked uh, 3.0 plus 1.0 when I watched it, but like I think upon reflection, I think I was maybe caught up a bit too much in the hype. Um, although I do think it's like a fairly solid ending for like a movie series that probably shouldn't have gotten a good ending because of like how off the rails it got. So I think I think it's respectable. Yeah, I don't know. I I enjoyed the uh, the the narrative, and I I'd, I'd like to talk about the ending, but I don't know. Forrest is Forrest is here and doesn't want to hear any of this. Then um, yeah, probably not a good idea. Um, but I just you know the movie is very like visually engaging. It's very like I think it it takes the story in an interesting place. I I understand that maybe a, a good ending wasn't what. Ava needed, but I, I think it works anyway. Um, I think that the kind of um, whole narrative this this rebuild uh, has been telling did did culminate in a very interesting and um, very provocative way for Evangelion. Like the, it definitely does some things that I I, I see and I'm like yeah fans of this series probably are not going to like this which is kind of true kind of not it was the reception was weird at the time i think um i thought it was like really well, i think if you're a fan of anything you're just gonna you're just gonna hate anything that comes out that's true that's yeah. true like star wars um yeah speaking know, of uh I, the book of boba fett is actually my number one pick of this year uh yeah i heard i heard people disappointed with that one uh, I'm not gonna get into this. I didn't even see the Mandalorian, so. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm yeah, no, some, I'm I'm kind of just nerve. done with talking about Star Wars. I don't I don't want to talk to talk to anyone about Star Wars anymore. I think that's a good sense to have. Like I, I I'll that. I'll probably yeah. keep watching Star Wars. I just don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> um, All right, I'll say this much. Um, I think that the Last Jedi is the best Star Wars. Movie has ever been made this is uh... a <laughs> this is my most controversial opinion i don't think it's that controversial i don't know maybe maybe okay maybe maybe among a certain a certain group of people it would be aka nazis <laughs> nazis yeah. yeah yeah this is the kind of people i hang out with all the time so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what's um, controversial spider-man uh listen man I'm a, I'm a fan of this character. I'm a fan of what he stands for. I'm a fan of uh, the Marvel movies in general, even though I'm kind of starting to realize that, like, uh, I'm starting to realize what, what everybody else has realized a long time ago is how homogenous and kind of bad they are. But I've kind of... I've had too much of this, and I'm too far deep for me to let go of any of this. Like, like I said, never um, apologize. But I, I just think No Way Home does a great job telling a story about Spider-Man that is, it's very Spider-Man. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you, if you know who the character is, then you'll probably agree. Um, it... I get it. I I understand where everybody who does not like this comes from, but 
as someone who grew up on the rest of these movies and then got to sit through this whole trilogy, it was, um, I don't know, it, it meant a lot to me. That's all a movie needs to me, Nick. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, no, I, I all mean, these I... picks I'm just, uh... Yeah, all these picks I'm just lying about. I'm just trying to seem like smart. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like yeah, cinephile posturing. You actually haven't seen any of these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like Zizek, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to sit through three hours. I'm just reading the top review of Letterboxd. Yeah. <laughs> you can always read subtitles for three hours, am I right? Yeah, that's crazy. I'd rather read a book. Speaking yeah. of uh, no subtitles, though, Days was pretty good. That was, Days. My, that was my number three pick. Oh, there's no, there's no dialogue in that one? Yeah, so the movie opens with um, a, uh, like a, what's the title card that says, this movie is intentionally unsubtitled, which is pretty awesome. Um, there's not that much dialogue. Uh, it's, it's more of like a, there, there is some dialogue, but like, of course, I don't know what they're saying because there's no subtitles. But yeah. Um, we didn't learn Chinese for that one? Uh, I did not. I did not. I got I chose not to. Um, see not a real cinephile this yeah i don't think i know enough about like simon lang to like formulate an interesting opinion about this movie um since i've only seen like four of his movies but um i i can say that it was a, a feast for the eyes i mean it yeah. ought to be if you can't tell what the hell they're saying it's true <laughs> that's true yeah um i've only seen two simon young films and this recent one i saw the um uh, Rebels of a Neon God, I thought was like was so good. It was just, like, uh, um, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, but I mean, it's it's it it's it it, it 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 takes that kind of. Um, I mean, at the time, you already had this like standard for like Taiwanese, like very slow, very like uh, um, almost like distancing kind of movies that you see from like Ho Xiao Shan, like Edward Yang goes when you make movies by the time. Um, and it's implying this completely like degenerate, like almost incel level context to it. Um, yeah, which is why I connect to it so much. Of course. Uh, but yeah, was, I, so, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, and I have to see more. I've not seen Days. Um, yeah. Nice. And you said so. What was your and then? What was your number two then, Duran? Uh, card counter. And then my number one is Drive My Car. And there you go. Yep. There you go. All right. Um, um, anybody, anybody want to throw in any opinions on on one last movie before old? We, uh... Watch old. It's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, what was old? Not on your top top uh, top ten list. Uh, yeah. Because like you, I'm cinephile posturing. If I wasn't, it'd be number one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were supposed to cinephile posture this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Did you get the memo? You get a, Did you get my text? Yeah, but, I mean, just, I sent it out to the. I was like, just look up a bunch of. Uh, yeah, just look up like the whatever New York Times article. And just uh, repeat that opinion. <laughs> Drive my car. I liked it when they drove the car. It didn't happen yeah, very, for very long until the end. I was kind of disappointed. During the middle, drive my car. I'm like, there's not a lot of driving scenes. This sucks. Oh, well, there's, there's some. Driving but you know what did have yeah, driving scenes? You know what did have driving scenes? F9. <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's true. It's all, all full, comes back full circle, baby. All comes back full circle. So what we're saying is the real yeah. drive my car is F9. Of course. Everyone everyone listening yeah. to this that's gotten to the end of this uh, two and a half hour podcast, please watch F9. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, and we Jack can end this by asking, like, definitely going to be the best movie of 2022. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! I see. I saw to see that. It's really um, good. We can end this by saying, by uh, you know, talk, uh, quickly. You guys see anything good recently? I could say I saw something really good recently um, called uh, uh, City of Sadness. Um, oh yeah, I think I, I saw that too. That yeah, it wasn't that good. Yeah, 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 Nick. I don't know. It will, you know. The movie was was fine, but uh, you know, I don't know if you know about this. Nick, but I have these uh, screenings that I hold on Fridays, right? Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> we watch some. Uh, <laughs> it's very important for you for some reason that you come now. <laughs> yeah, City of Sadness was pretty awesome. I, I love that. It, I need to, I need to watch funny. more. Uh, I, I said, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's another movie called Millennium Mambo, which I hear is good. You should check that one. I haven't heard of that one. Oh yeah, you should look it up. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was interesting for my uh, uh, Luca, essentially, uh, who's uh, one of our film professors. Um, and I take one class in the semester. Uh, he sent out like a uh, an email to the entire class, telling them that he'll give them extra credit if they uh, they show up to my screenings. Um, but no one showed up. <laughs> no, one, <laughs> no one was there. That's so funny. <laughs> I would I would re-enroll yeah. just to get that free credit, Boris. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, wait, uh, uh, Nick, are you taking any classes with him this semester? Uh, I I am. I'm taking that uh, uh-huh. global global cinema class, which is. Uh, you should ask him. Watched was Aquarius. You should ask him then. See if you should ask him get extra uh, credit. Uh, no, no, no! Just tell him to send an email. Why oh. it's the whole class about the extra credit? Absolutely. <laughs> that's why. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, that would be All right, fellas. I haven't eaten anything today, so I think it's time for us to wrap yeah, up. No, Very hungry. Right. I was thinking about going to yeah, a the Tyson's, Tyson's Corner and getting some grill kebab, and then Very driving good. to CD Cellar to browse some Blu-rays. Very I cool. bought um, some peanuts that I'll eat. Okay. I may. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kids you. taking care of themselves. You love to see it. Yeah, I have money. I'm like you losers. I make $15 an hour. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going into hunger strike until uh, Trump is elected president. <laughs> okay. Um, on, that, on that note, this episode is going to be hell to edit i hate you guys so much but uh boris thank you for joining us thank yeah no you. problem thank you for, uh, for being here as always uh thank thank you all for listening uh, this is uh god if you've really gone through like two hours of this i'm so sorry i don't know what are you doing with your life just actively You'll probably be a better life listening. than me. That's the one thing that you should do. It's the one thing I learned from podcast school. On that note. All right. Anyway. Goodbye. <laughs>